Let her rip. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. W-A-P-G. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 569. Yeah, he's up in the sky. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side at the cockpit door. With your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 13th of May, episode at LAX the thrust from a Southwest airliner sends a baggage cart careening into a Delta planes jet engine an Air India passenger is stung by a scorpion mid-flight more news your feedback and today's plane tale so get all settled in tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions electronic devices powered on I'm Radio Roger and flight 569 is ready for pushback Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins on 92.3 FM in New York City. Welcome to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy bear uh, line. Oh, that's interesting. Airline based in Atlanta, Georgia, or somewhere here in the United States of America. And uh, joining us today from across the pond in his studio. In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. Professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. Hi, Jeff. Lovely to be with you again on this beautiful spring day here in the United Kingdom. I'm so pleased that I'm in a darkened studio. (laughs) Well, hopefully we won't take you out of that beautiful weather for too long. Hopefully. And also joining us from the air capital in Wichita, Kansas, low and slow pilot, A&P mechanic, old airplane enthusiast, and engineer in the aerospace and defense industry. It's Nick Camacho. Hey, Captain Jeff. Uh, just have just going to be here for a little bit, but uh, glad to step in and well, we'll take people who I am. We'll <laughs> take whatever we can get from you. And also joining us from her studio in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, retired financier and aviation enthusiast spreadsheet master and our producer it's liz piper hi everybody happy saturday happy saturday to you as well have a good show gents thank you i think now would be a good time for us to move on to the news Stand by for news. All right. This is from the PaddleYourOwnCanoe.com website. Delta airplane damaged after jet blast from Southwest Boeing 737 blows baggage cart into an engine. 
Uh, let's see. The Delta Airlines operated Boeing 737-800, which was parked at a gate at LAX, was damaged after a baggage cart was blown across the ramp area and collided with the left engine of the aircraft. The apparent cause of the accident was jet blast from a passing Southwest Airlines 737, which hit the baggage cart with such force that it was blown across the tarmac. In a summary of the incident, the FAA confirmed that no one was injured, although the extent of the damage to the aircraft has not yet been reported. The 10-year-old aircraft, which once belonged to Brazil's uh, GOL, Goal, I'm not sure if that's pronounced like that or not. Um, Goal! Score! Yeah. And the uh, (laughs) European low-cost airline Transavia, before being purchased by Delta in 2017, had just arrived in Los Angeles from Salt Lake City on Wednesday and was preparing for an onward flight to Puerto Vallarta. Mexico. Mm, nice. Following the uh, accident, the aircraft uh, appears to have remained on the ground. Its registration, November 774 Delta Echo, uh, hasn't operated any further flights. The scheduled flight to Puerto Vallarta was delayed by around an hour while a replacement aircraft was found. Uh, last month, a Delta-operated Boeing 757 was badly damaged while waiting to take off at Mexico City Airport when an Aeromexico plane collided with a... What does that have to do with this story? Nothing. Nothing at all. I don't know why I read <laughs> yeah. that. Because this plane was going to Mexico and that was in Mexico? I don't know. Uh, okay. Well, uh, discussion about this. I mean, was it uh, the Southwest 737 was feeling uh, poorly about the 73 that was in Delta was colors? Taxing too fast. Taxing, taxing too fast. Too fast. They, oh, there's no such thing, Liz. I thought they might be jealous of Delta's new contract. Ah, maybe that's it. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> I don't. Uh, actually, you know what surprised me the most, or what was the most curious about this article to me, was the fact that that airplane's only ten years old. Mm-hmm. It's already with its third company. That seemed yeah. like a lot of turnover to me. But yeah, it does. It really does. So the aircraft sitting on the ground for a while. Uh, it often takes a while with an unusual bit of airframe damage because um, the company engineers will have to get in touch with Boeing, who may have to come out with a repair mm-hmm. schedule that is new. Uh, Unique. You know, a lot, a lot of uh, dents and dings. Uh, once you've um, developed a repair technique for it, uh, it's put down in a document and. Uh, the company can recall that and Boeing say, yeah, we had a similar situation, do this repair. If it's a slightly unusual one, depending on where it's struck, um, then they may have to devise uh, a new one. That, that's only my own experience from having uh, you know, our aircraft in the company um, bent by various contractors that buzz around the aircraft. And some of them are fixed very easily and quickly. Others take a long time, but a lot of it's because the manufacturer has to kind of work out from where the damage is how to go about a repair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, interestingly, I should have read the last paragraph, um, not the filler paragraph that they had right before it. Uh, the Delta aircraft was waiting on a slipway, and I'm not sure what a slipway is, between two taxiways when the Aeromexico plane passed on the main taxiway. Investigators will have to determine whether the Delta plane stopped short on the slipway leading to the back end sticking out onto the main taxiway. That's the taxiway. Aeromexico one, Jeff. That's the, that's that not part oh. of the previous... That's, that's referring to the previous oh, one so. that you started oh, okay. reading. They suck you in, Jeff. They suck you in, Jeff. Wow. 
All right. Hopefully you won't hear this on the audio <laughs> podcast. No, I'm going to leave it in just to show you what an idiot that Absolutely. I am. Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's yeah. early. Uh, All right. Well, so uh, Southwest Airlines, they're they're always very cautious traditionally when they taxi, don't they? I mean, they always taxi at very moderate speed, very carefully, using minimal power. Yes. Is that right? That is absolutely accurate. They have a really good reputation for that, don't they? (laughs) Yes, they do. And I try to emulate it myself, actually. (laughs) (laughs) But you can't quite keep up with them. (laughs) I try. I I swear, you know, I I mentioned, I think, on a previous show that we have this app that kind of track. You can gain access to all the things that are tracked, uh, like uh, how high above the ground you're in a stabilized approach configuration for each particular flight and where it compares with the fleet and all that kind of stuff. And uh, if you exceed anything, uh, they'll have a little uh, triangle, like an orange triangle. And then you get to click on that and see what it was that you you, uh, ran afoul. And 99% of the time, my little orange little triangles are because I'm taxing too fast. Big <laughs> Apparently, it kicks, it, it starts uh, flagging things at about 30 knots ground speed. And uh, so now I'm actually, actually this, I know, now Nick, think about my airplane. Uh, Nick's giving this expression that is just priceless. Uh, it's, if I were taxiing around a uh, a 340 600 i don't think i would been be going that quickly uh but i'm just like in a little tiny little jet yeah come on in a pocket rocket it's, oh, no, it's no, like no, a little no, sports no, car how, you're, how fast <laughs> would you yeah, taxi I was gonna like say, a 172 or a bonanza what's that how fast would you taxi a 172 or a bonanza then uh well i probably a lot right slower <laughs> <Okay>. i guess <laughs> i don't know heck i would if i were the faa i would uh pull all of my certificates and not let me ever fly an airplane again. That would be my recommendation. <laughs> Early retirement. But, at least uh, give you a speeding ticket. Or give me some, yeah, whatever. But hey, that's okay. It won't be long and I'll be out of the skies forever and nobody will have to worry about me anymore. And the taxiways and... And the, yeah, uh, also not nobody, the skies, nobody in the but, yeah. Nobody in the skies will have to worry about you anymore. <laughs> yeah, you'll just have to worry about me on the road. mobile. You'll be driving that RV around at hundreds of miles in there. <laughs> that might actually start lifting off. Who knows? <laughs> anyway, next one is uh, this. Let's see. This news release uh, from the U.S. Attorney's Office followed by a new. Okay. Uh, U.S. Attorney's Office, Central District of California. A YouTuber pilot has agreed to plead guilty to a felony charge for obstructing a federal investigation by deliberately destroying the wreckage of an airplane that he intentionally crashed in Santa Barbara County to gain online views, the Justice Department announced today. Trevor. Jacob, 29 years old, of Lompoc, California, agreed to plead guilty to one count of destruction and concealment with the intent to obstruct a federal investigation, crime that carries a statutory maximum sentence of 20 years in federal prison. A plea agreement and one count information charging Jacob were filed Wednesday in United States District Court in Los Angeles. He is expected to make his initial court appearance in the coming weeks. According to his plea agreement, He's an experienced pilot and skydiver who had secured a sponsorship from a company that sold various products, including a wallet. Oh, oh, wow. Okay. I don't think I read that uh, when I first went through this information before. 
Uh, pursuant to the sponsorship deal, Jacob agreed to promote the company's wallet in a YouTube video that he would post. Now, Nick Camacho, you said you knew something about this wallet thing. Is it some kind of an indestructible skydiver's wallet? What is this wallet? Uh, no, it's just a standard uh, a standard wallet. Uh, it's not. It's a. <clears throat> It's like a money clip wallet, so it's a it's a slightly more modern thing, but um, yeah, it's just uh, you know kind of an a has a adventure bent to it, and so I guess they looked at him like a adventurous spirit worthy of yeah um, rather than an idiot. You know. Well, they're probably regretting hiring him to do oh, this promotional thing. Um, or I don't know, maybe, of course we haven't mentioned the name of the wallet company, so I don't know, maybe they're not getting their money's worth. Here goes the plane, it's crashing, it's crashing. So, um, the, uh, we're playing, by the way, on the, on the video, uh, when we're doing this live recording, we're playing the uh, video of the YouTubers, um, uh, descent and the airplanes crash and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, so he, just to remind everybody, he took his airplane, took off from Lompoc City Airport on a solo flight purportedly destined for Mammoth Lakes. He uh, did not intend to reach his destination, but instead planned to eject from his aircraft during the flight and video himself parachuting to the ground and his airplane as it descended and crashed. Um, I want, there was something in here that I thought was kind of funny. We just watched some of the uh, footage from his video with i don't know how many different camera angles i don't know how many different gopro cameras he had <laughs> mounted on this thing um but it said something about uh, uncontrolled descent and crash and i'm thinking uh didn't look too uncontrolled to me it looked very controlled wouldn't you say uh the airplane yeah uh i think it looked stable I mean, obviously, I mean, he wasn't being controlled because I was going to say there's no one in it, it, so I don't know if we can say it was controlled. But it, it was a stable, appearing to be controllable airplane for sure. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't going nose down and or anything. Was the propeller is spinning again. So, you know, <laughs> for anyone Oops. who wasn't listening to us back in December or February or whenever we talked about this the first time, um, you know, it, there were lots of obviously everyone knew what had happened here as soon as he put his video out. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, poor airplane. Well, uh, a lot of the folks critical of this person and this event say, I mean, he, there were several cues or clues that he intended to jump out of the airplane. And, and, uh, it, like for instance, opening up the door before the engine quits. Mm -hmm. And then, I think, uh, well, all the different camera angles and such, but he, it didn't seem that he even attempted to restart the engine. Um, I don't know. Was, uh, all, uh, not to mention the, uh, the, the, uh, fire extinguishers that he had, uh, in his, um, pant, yeah. pant legs strapped concealed, legs. Yeah. yeah, strapped. Uh, I don't think he normally flies like that. I'm thinking, you know, yeah. Anyway, well, I'm glad to see that perhaps justice will be served. What do they say? Up to 20 years of in prison, possibly. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, th I think it's important to note here that, uh, he, um, he's not actually going to jail for crashing the airplane, right? He crashed the airplane and his disciplinary action for that was getting his license revoked. Mm -hmm. And now he's going to jail because the federal government basically told him to, uh, 
protect and uh, preserve. Preserve. Yeah, the accident. I don't know if they said the accident side or just the airplane, right? Mm-hmm. And he, uh, rather than doing that, he chopped the airplane up into tiny pieces and threw it away in various trash cans, like a yeah. serial killer would do with a body. <laughs> yeah, he hired a helicopter, right, to come out there, and he knew they exactly. They flew it out with they, a helicopter. Yeah, yeah. picked it up, and then he cut it up into little pieces, and then threw it away in the yeah. darn airport. Trash cans. Trash cans. Think, come on, if you're going to get rid of the evidence, take yeah. it somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, and yeah, so be the, a bit more creative. Yeah, yeah right. And the twenty yeah, go years out of the desert and bury it in a shallow grave. <laughs> the uh, the twenty years is the maximum for that obstruction charge that he pled guilty to. So, mm-hmm. you know, generally when you plead guilty to something, you you do that in exchange for a reduced, you yeah. know, charge or something. But it also could be that, um the government may have said like, Hey, we're going to charge you with these three or four things. But if you plead guilty to one, we'll drop the other ones. So, oh, yeah. um, cause he lied to them. I don't know if he would have perjured himself when he lied to them. I don't know if, um, those conversations would reach the level of, of perjury. Right. But he filed an accident report and said, uh, you know, well, if, if it had been an F- FBI agent, it would, that would have been perjury. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> they yeah. say never talk to an FBI agent. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because you're never going to win. Um, Captain Nick, did you have something to uh, add? No, no. I, I was I was just making a few quips in the oh, background with yeah, my microphone off. <laughs> so I was the only person that heard them. I thought they were very funny. They were very clever. <laughs> yeah, they were. We'll, we'll hear them now. Yeah, or uh, no, he could just send me the, the recordings that oh. he's recording of himself, and then we'll throw them right in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like oh, nothing it'll be like, like, it'll be like Liz. It'll be like brother is watching. Story. Yeah. Masha's got a good comment here. Uh, Masha oh, says, sorry, sorry. Uh, sorry. let's see, if he's making enough money on YouTube to hire a helicopter, y'all are doing something wrong. Well, that's for sure. Well, that just goes without saying pretty <laughs> yeah. much, Masha. We've been doing something wrong for years, Masha. <laughs> oh, I Boxer yeah. says, when he goes to prison. Oh. Uh, he, when when he goes to prison, I hall boxes says he should check for files up his pant legs. Yeah, because apparently he <laughs> yeah. likes to put a bunch of stuff up there like that. Yeah. Huh. Okay. Well, interesting uh, story. We'll, we'll follow it. We'll keep. Yeah, we'll keep following it. See how the trial goes and what he actually ends up having to pay slash serve. I think it'll probably be pretty mild. Quite honestly, yeah, I think so too. Maybe he has to build a plane from scratch. He has to build a plane from scratch out of the parts that he threw away. (laughs) And then he has to fly it. And then he has to fly it. Perfect. Without a parachute. (laughs) Without a parachute. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, man. All right. Let's move on to this next one uh, from Paddle Your Own Canoe. American Airlines mechanic was found guilty of smuggling $320,000 worth of cocaine into the U.S. hidden in a compartment under the, compar- under the cockpit. Um, an aircraft mechanic who worked, past tense, for American Airlines in uh, New York, John F. Kennedy Airport, has been found guilty. Uh, as we just mentioned, uh, they found uh, the United States Customs and Border Patrol officers found 10 bricks of cocaine hidden inside a special compartment under the cockpit of an airplane. It's not really that special of an apartment. Well, I guess there was a compartment within the E&E <laughs> compartment. Uh, Paul Belois, Beloisi, 
maybe, was found guilty by a federal jury of all three counts of an indictment charging him with conspiring to possess cocaine, conspiring to import cocaine, and actually importing cocaine following following a trial in Brooklyn District Court. Uh, Let's see. He was the inside man in an international drug trafficking gang, which was responsible for smuggling large quantities of cocaine from Jamaica to the United States. Following the verdict, uh, the U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of New York said that he was caught red-handed trying to facilitate the smuggling of a large stash of cocaine hidden in an electronics compartment. This uh, corrupt airline mechanic not only abused his position of trust and undermined the security of a vital border crossing in our district, but was also willing to potentially endanger the safety of travelers as well as the community. Uh, He had free free reign around the airfield and was able to come and go on American Airlines airplanes without facing the threat of being challenged. Um, On around 3.30, at around 3.30 p.m. on February 4, 2020, so three years ago plus, uh, on American Airlines flight uh, 1349 arrived at Terminal 8 uh, at JFK, having just flown in from Montego Bay when... CBP officers decided to carry out a random enforcement exam of the aircraft. Hmm. The inspection included a search of the main avionics compartment, which is situated underneath the cockpit, but is accessible from the ground. During the search, they found 10 bricks of what appeared to be cocaine concealed behind an insulation compartment. CBP removed the bricks, but then replaced them with dummy drug bricks that had been sprayed with a substance that glows when illuminated. Glitter. They uh, also placed a transponder in the compartment to alert them. <laughs> List things that might may have been glitter that they just covered it in, but probably <laughs> not. But, um, anyway, they also put a transponder in the compartment to alert them if the bricks were moved. And for several hours, no one approached the aircraft, which was due to depart at 8 p.m. for its next flight. Just 20 minutes before its scheduled departure, and while passengers were boarding the plane, uh, Beloisi was spotted driving up to the front of the aircraft and entering the avionics bay. Within a few seconds, the transponder activated, and CBP officers rushed to the airplane, observing him readjusting the insulation blanket where the bricks were hidden behind. His gloves glowed from the substance, the glitter, that had been on the bricks and uh, was detained for questioning. He was found to have cut holes into the inside of his work coat that created compartments capable of holding the bricks. He also had an empty mechanics bag in his vehicle. The bricks of drugs weighed more than 35 pounds and field tested positive for cocaine. Officials believe it was a street value of between $285,000 to $320,000. Wow. There we go. Well, crime doesn't pay. No, Usually, crime does not maybe it does, and we just don't know about it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But. Everyone they catch. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, it's a pretty well known thing. Um, secreting drugs in various bits, and people think they've they've found the perfect spot every time they do it. Yet, the drug enforcement personnel are pretty familiar with where drugs might be hidden on an airplane. And uh, I think no matter how ingeni- ingenious ingenious. Yeah, good. That yeah. That yeah. they, um, these people think they are. Uh, I think the, there's a good chance they'll be found out, particularly if you get sniffer dogs and things on the track. I mean, for mm-hmm. heaven's sake. Hmm. Well, well, lesson I, learned. I yes, hope. a lesson learned. Let's you know, anybody out there considering doing something like this, <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. That's our well, it's a great way to supplement your pension, Jeff. Yeah, and you get a nice place to stay free of charge. Well, you do. You get free, free food. 
and workout facility. Cost of living, living goes way down. Don't Meet have to worry lots about of new people. <laughs> Meet lots of new people. <laughs> lots of friendly people that want to be your boyfriends and special girlfriends. Friends. Yeah, special friends. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, let's move on, shall we, uh, to another article from Paddle Your Own Canoe. Uh, passengers aboard a JetBlue flight from Las Vegas to Los Angeles had to be evacuated shortly after their arrival in California after a disgruntled customer who missed the flight made a bomb threat against the plane. That sounds reasonable. Think that's a reasonable thing to do. Um, JetBlue flight 879 departed Vegas around 1.10 p.m. on Thursday and arrived without incident in Los Angeles just 45 minutes later. But instead of taxiing to the gate, the pilots were sent to an isolated penalty box where the aircraft was intercepted by law enforcement. ATC recordings indicate that the pilots initially had no idea that a bomb threat had been made against the aircraft, which... That's kind of weird, I think. And one crew member asked, uh, why are we holding here? Uh, an air traffic controller responded, I can't tell you right this moment. They're working on something concerning your aircraft, so stand by. Uh, a short time later, it was revealed that a bomb threat had been phoned in against the plane. A set of steps was driven to the front left-hand cabin door so that the passengers could then be evacuated from the aircraft. Sniffer dogs were sent in, and after... More than two-hour search, the aircraft and all the luggage were given the all-clear. Las Vegas police said that they had taken enforcement action against the man who was accused of calling in the bomb threat. It's alleged that the suspect was meant to be a passenger on the plane, but became disgruntled when he missed his flight. Told officials that his luggage, which had been loaded on the aircraft, possibly contained a bomb. I don't understand why you would do something dumb like that. Um, a similar incident occurred on a jet. Well, it doesn't. Okay. Um, we don't need to talk about that. Captain Nick has a similar. Captain incident. Nick, have you ever had any experience with the missing a flight and then calling in bomb a bomb threat? No, no I haven't done it. Not yourself. yourself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I misunderstood. I had, had it done to an aircraft I was going to take into Washington. Oh. Um, at least that that's what uh, they believed. Uh, so we were. Uh, uh, just about to start the engines, and um, we got a word through saying that there had been a a bomb threat. Now, these things are normally very well handled by the airline uh, security uh, department, and uh, they usually do a bomb threat analysis uh, of the threat and uh, how it was received, the person that delivered it. They, they gather all the information they can from the person who took the call or from however they got the notification it can be a you know a letter it could be a um you know, something a, a piece of paper stuffed somewhere or handed in somewhere um and then they they examine it they're very well trained people so they're pretty good at sussing the ones that are absolutely you know they can more or less guarantee our uh, our, our false claims and uh Ours eventually, although it didn't go through the, the normal procedure for some reason, I, I never found out why. Uh, but uh, they left the decision up to me. But then eventually it sounded like it was going to be a green, which means no threat. Um, if you're airborne and there's a bomb threat made against you, if it's assessed as green, the crew are never told. So uh, at least in our airline, that was the procedure. Because it's been assessed, what is the point of worrying you 
about something that has already been determined is no threat. So they they didn't bother to tell you. If it was, and they didn't have an amber uh, in the air, it was either green or red, which I think is great because uh, amber was kind of one of those, it might be, it might not. Um, so uh, if it was red, obviously, you t- did the full procedure and diverted the airplane immediately, got all the passengers off and uh, had the airplane searched, etc. cetera, uh, had bomb teams organized, all that kind of stuff. If it was green, you never got told if you were airborne. If you're on the ground, it was like a different matter. As it turned out, ours was uh, turned out to be a green, and um, we were on the ground for a good hour and a half while they sorted everything out. Um, and uh, we we lost a couple of the passengers. A couple of folk decided they didn't want to fly. Um, the rest of the passengers seemed fine. Uh, we, you know, sorted them out, got them off, and got their bags off. And uh, everyone else went to Washington, fine and beautiful. And you know, obviously, it was a a green one. Uh, and it turned out that uh, it was a passenger who was late. And uh, they thought if they phoned in a bomb threat, they, they might delay the wrong? flight. Well, in fact, they did delay the flight. Mm. <laughs> they, were, they weren't allowed on. All they did was go become very suspicious of this person <laughs> who uh, pitched up going, I hear the flight's been delayed. Can I get on it now, please? <laughs> yeah, how did you know? <laughs> yeah. Micah says he thinks the guy was just Mike, a main man. Micah in our audience says maybe he only said, "quote This delay blows up my plans," and they just misunderstood him. Yeah, probably not. I've had a couple of times when en route uh, notified by um, our company that we had a bomb threat play, uh, uh, put against our flight, and uh, they in in both cases, I think it was just twice in my career. They said that corporate security had analyzed everything and didn't think it was a legitimate uh, threat. And so, uh, in other words, in using the language that uh, Captain Nick is using, I I guess it was a green. But they gave the captain the option of treating it the way that he wanted to treat it. But we went ahead and, uh, you know, uh, went with corporate security because obviously they have a lot more resources than we have and more experience than we have individuals individually so and and we didn't blow it up we didn't get blowed up (laughs) good job yeah thank you well done congratulations thank you very much (laughs) if i had we probably wouldn't be here on this podcast Mm -hmm. unless one of you guys started it (laughs) (laughs) and you were thinking hmm yeah, what well could have been? Well Wouldn't have had to mess with this on a Saturday morning <laughs> or afternoon for you. Okay, uh, let's continue, shall we? With uh, the yes, Nick. I'm probably gonna okay. bail out here. All right, very good. Uh, Anything? Sorry uh, for my abbreviated appearance. But yeah, well, no, I, it's always good, good to, to see, see you. you. Thank you for taking the time to uh, show up for a, a little bit of the Hi, show. Nick. That's. Better than, you know, a couple of the other hosts that are, you know, obviously not here. They're missing. Uh, but yeah. uh, anyway. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. We'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Bye. All the best. Have a great game. Okay. Thanks. See ya. Take care, Dad. All right. Uh, oh, and don't forget about Mother's Day. Hope he's still there. He won't. Uh, yeah, I'm sure he won't. Yeah. Mother's Day here in the U.S. I don't know if it, are are you all celebrating Mother's Day in? No, uh, they do it in March. Well, we something. do have a Mother's Day. I don't think it's this weekend. No, it's in March. Okay, Liz is saying it's in March, so it's already come and gone. 
Hopefully you remember. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. Mothering Sunday or something like mother of a Sunday. No, that's not right. Um, let's, uh, continue this, uh, let's continue this new segment with this story from UNHCR. What does that stand for? Liz, uh, .ca. United Nations. United uh, Nations. Something, something, something. Something High Commission for Refugees. High Commission for Refugees. Wow. Okay. Uh, this, uh, involves a, a young lady, uh, named, okay, to say how to pronounce that, uh, Liz, in my ear. Um, just a minute. I gotta go find it. Oh, what do you mean you gotta go find it? Well, no, I don't have the, oh, you don't have the, uh, article up? But I would say Nur, Nur Yutayim. Yutayim. Nur Yutayim. Uh, okay. When she puts on her headset, the chaotic world outside the cockpit of, Air uh, Inuit passenger Inuit, yep. Inuit passenger airplane goes quiet as she readies the aircraft for the long journey over the vast expanses of Canadian boreal forests and Arctic tundra. Her thoughts shrink into a neat flight checklist. I feel like I've just opened up the first page of a novel uh, that I'm reading here. The way this is being yes, written. it is quite um, poetic, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Here we go. Batteries all on. Check. Main bus tie, check. Oh no, main bus tie, tie, check. DC gens, on, check. And on and on and on down the pre-flight checklist. There's no room on that checklist for worries about family and friends in Syria or Lebanon. No space to ruminate about an argument with a loved one. I feel like the, and that goes, that's true for all of us actually, I think. You know, when we kind of focus on our job at hand. Uh, it tends for most of us to eliminate any thoughts or concerns about what might be happening with our personal lives. Um, compart compartmentalization, I guess, is mm -hmm. the word to use there. I feel like the second I put on my headset, I disconnect from the outside, says the 27-year-old former Syrian refugee. Like if I had a flight with someone last night, oh, excuse me, like if I had a fight with someone last night, I wouldn't be able to think about it even if I wanted to. Nor is just is not one of your stereotypical bush pilots whose daredevil flying helped connect remote indigenous communities or mining camps to the mainland during the dawn of aviation in northern Canada. But her pioneering spirit led her to learn how to fly an airplane even before she got her driver's license. Uh, she was 17 years old when the Syria when Syria's crisis forced her to flee the family home in Damascus to neighboring Lebanon, where she enrolled at Beirut. Arab University to pursue pursue her first passion, architecture. I lived there for a couple of years without my family, but it was getting uh, it wasn't getting any better in Lebanon or Syria. She said, working in a Syrian restaurant in Beirut, she says she barely earned enough money to make ends meet. And when her aunt in Canada, or aunt if you'd prefer, uh, ha who had supported her studies, could no longer afford the tuition, she had to drop out of school. I uh, went back to Syria for six months to try it again, but it was not safe. Couldn't see a future here, she adds. She returned to Lebanon once again. Desperate to escape Syria's insecurity and Lebanon's economic collapse, her family started looking for a way out. Canada beckoned as a distant dream. I was just dreaming of a better future and imagining what my life would be covered in snow 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It doesn't, she didn't say that. I was just dreaming of a better future and imagining what my life would be there. 
in November 2015, the newly elected Prime Minister Justin Trudeau vowed to resettle 25,000 Syrian refugees to Canada in 100 days. Part of those Syrian refugees were to be sponsored by the federal government and in and part by private individuals. Noor's uh, aunt, who had moved to Montreal years earlier, convinced a church group to sponsor the Utahims, uh, Noor, her mom, and two brothers. But the wait for the coveted Canadian visa was getting more desperate with every passing day. Anyway, so she actually made it over here. Uh, I'll probably not read the entire article, which is very well written, I should you know, say for sure. Um, but, uh, the, obviously at some point she, uh, decided to explore a career in aviation and she went to a flight school to research her school project. And then the more she explored, the more interesting and enticing flying became. Um, so as she, uh, says it, it was a lot of money. She said, when I came here, I had $200. Well, I can guarantee it's, it costs more than $200 to, uh, learn how to fly and get all those ratings and such. Uh, she got a student loan from the bank, began her flight training in February of 2018, about a year after her arrival in Canada. And uh, she had so impressed the flight school uh, that she was offered a job as a flight instructor. Now, of course, the person writing this article probably doesn't understand that that's pretty much the way things go with these flight schools. You know, you unless you're just a complete idiot, you're probably going to be asked to uh, stay and help uh, teach the other students in the school for probably hardly any money at all. Uh, but uh, sometimes there's uh, one of the returns is that they may help with offsetting some of the debt that you incurred, you know, learning how to fly and, and get in flight these, time, right? Yeah. And you get a lot of flight time, Liz, that's for sure. Because that's uh, essential. Once you get all those ratings, you got to get the time, right? And uh, then you get... Uh, you interview and you get hired and all that. So it looks like um, she was hired by Air Inuit. Inuit, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, yeah, anything else, Liz, that you want to? That's about uh, it. From okay. Syria to the Arctic. From okay. Syria to the Arctic, and now she she pines for those days in Syria where <laughs> she, where it's warm outside. <laughs> yeah, that's right, where it's nice and warm. <laughs> yeah, no, you doesn't. know, I just realized what I've been doing wrong all these years as a pilot. Uh, I forgot to tie tie my main main buzz tie. Um, oh no! Yeah, so all those times I went flying without my buzz tie tied. That's embarrassing. Um, Thank God yeah, didn't exactly. Get okay. I know it was flapping around loose. So. <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> but he had a buzz on. Just goes what good pilot she was, and what a lousy pilot I was. Uh huh. Anyway, it's always nice to hear a. a, a nice warm heartwarming story like that and, oh absolutely uh, yeah great i mean to overcome all those hurdles uh moving halfway around the world um finding the uh sponsorship uh you know you've got to inspire people with your story if they're gonna um lay out money for you as well as showing the aptitude and the drive to uh, complete all the training that's required so you you do feel inspired by her um ability to do this uh, and she's r really only just got on the first rung of the ladder uh, you know flying uh, that small passenger jet around Canada our uh, aircraft it's uh, uh, what what machine was it it was a, it's like uh, a ATR well I remember yeah, that might be a dash like 8 uh, hang on let me go back to the uh, article does it talk about the airplane she's flying it. now what plane has a buzz tie 
a buzz tie. I think it's a bus tie, but yeah. uh, but some I don't oh, know. I, I say buzz tie. Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, buzz or bus, uh, either way, it means the same thing. Apparently, it uh, looks to me like a dash eight. Uh, maybe somebody yeah, in our I think you're right. yeah, I hope okay. it's a dash eight. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good. That's a yeah. I mean, nice it's a, it's a it's an airliner, a, a small commuter airliner that a lot of uh, ab initio commercial pilots start on. So mm. uh, yeah. She's she's she made that there. first step. Brilliant. Well done. Undoubtedly, one day we'll hear of her flying jets around. Yeah, I'm sure so. Um, yeah, the only bad thing about that Dash 8 is it's made in Canada. Right. Um, well, yeah, no, we try not yeah. to talk about that. Oh, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. Sorry. <laughs> we don't talk yeah, about we, Canada. We, we don't want people to start boycotting. Them. That's my only Moving way on. to get back at Liz because she always <laughs> says all these things in my ear that are unpleasant. Mostly aimed at Captain Nick. Yeah, well, luckily I'm not party to that. No, she's, she's, yeah, she's saying, hey, I I do a lot of self-deprecating, which, because you're Canadian, that's what you do. That's right. I I apologize. Yeah, apologize a lot. Although, I don't know, she doesn't really apologize too much to me. (laughs) 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 Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, Of course, she's a very pleasant person and apologizes a lot. And even when she doesn't do anything wrong, (laughs) she apologizes. (laughs) Seriously. I know. It's like, why are you saying you're sorry? You didn't do anything wrong. Okay, here we go. Let's move on to this next item. Enough behind the scenes information that people don't care about. Uh, Aviationherald.com. This is where we get this next item. It's a final report. Uh, back in uh, May of 2022, uh, Singapore Airlines Boeing 737-800, registration 9 Victor Mike Golf Lima, uh, performing flight 439 from Kathmandu, Nepal to Singapore with 165 passengers and eight crew was departing Kathmandu's runway 20 when the crew suspected a tail strike leveled off at flight level 150 due to the high terrain around Kathmandu. The aircraft diverted to Kolkata, or Kolkata? Kolkata, yeah. Uh, For a safe landing. Post-flight inspection confirmed the tail skid assembly had contacted the runway surface at Kathmandu. However, there was no damage to the aircraft's aft fuselage. On May 8th of this year, not too many days ago, Singapore's TSIB released their final report concluding the probable causes of the serious incident were the tail strike occurred during the takeoff, uh, KTM, was due to over-rotation by the pilot flying, coupled with a likely tailwind with a component of about 10 knots along the runway. The rotation pitch rate was at times greater than per second as recorded by the FDR. The rotation pitch rate was at times greater than, it seems like there's something missing there. Greater than per second, as recorded by the FDR. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think it's supposed to be a number. Yeah. I think What's so too. Yeah, how no, many degrees per second yeah, do you supposed to? Yeah, I agree. There must have been something that uh, got dropped there. Uh, the pitch yes. angle of eleven point zero seven percent or degrees recorded also exceeded the seven to nine normal pitch angle range. The flight crew could have considered beginning the tail strike non. A normal checklist after reaching about 10,500 feet while the aircraft was still climbing to the MSA of 14.4. Okay. Well, IHAL says three degrees per second. Three degrees per second, IHAL boxes is saying in the uh, live audience, which is, I think, pretty st- a pretty standard rate of rotation on all the airplanes that I've flown. Yeah. Transport Sounds category. About, 
Um, the incident aircraft uh, did not have a uh, tail strike warning indication system installed. If such a warning indication system was available to the flight deck, it would have helped the flight crew make better decisions as to whether to perform the tail strike uh, non-normal checklist urgently. Uh, the operator's recurrent training program for, I, I guess that's a line check airman captain, did not include practicing the skills related to manipulating cabin pressurization. The investigation team suspects that the pilot monitoring might have been out of practice with the skills relating to manipulating cabin pressurization. <laughs> we, it was pretty recently we talked about the uh, yeah. the pitfalls, <laughs> potentially, of so. operating the cabin pressurization system, especially in manual mode. Reet, reet, reet. <laughs> Don't do it <laughs> if you can help it. Uh, the operator Absolutely. did not consider as part of its HIRM program. What would that be, Captain Nick? Do you have any idea? Um, no. <laughs> the, a HIRM, of course. The HIRM program, the complexity of a tail strike situation at aerodromes at higher elevations or high elevations surrounded by high terrain did not develop targeted guidance and training for its flight crew. In response to the cabin altitude warning, CAW, the pilot monitoring, manually deployed the passenger oxygen masks as a precautionary measure without informing the pilot flying. <laughs> oh, that would have been nice to communicate <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> Good CRM then. Uh-huh. The operator did not have a requirement for standard call-out for oxygen mask deployment. Well, still, I mean. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> even there's not, it's not a standard call-out. the ship mask now, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> like opening the window in flight. I mean, there's probably no standard call-out for that either. But what? <laughs> That would yeah, be pretty sorry. obvious, though, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, boy. So I, I'm assuming here that uh, I guess because they waited to accomplish the checklist procedure um, at, at a, because of the high terrain, they wanted to get above the terrain, which is a good thing. Uh, they somehow didn't think about the pressurization system and what problems that that may have caused in this um and I'm just guessing here because I didn't actually fully prepare and read through this before we started recording the show. Good work, uh, Jeff. Maybe you have any, uh, you have some insight here, Captain Nick, regarding this, or are you reading quickly? <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm with you. Uh, yeah. You know, if you, if you suspect you've had a tail strike, you probably know shortly after you've completed the takeoff, and you're looking at each other going. What happened then? Oh, I think we might have had a tail strike. Uh, it's kind of best to stay in the local area, uh, particularly if you've got to cross high terrain uh, in order to, um, you know, get, get away from Cap and do wherever it was they were getting airborne from. Um, so yeah, I, I you know, would have probably stayed and then landed back. Having said that, um, you know. Once you're up there, you're up there. Um, not ideal to depressurize the aeroplane when you are above 10,000 feet, let alone 14,000 feet. Um, most uh, depressurization drills, so if you're up at high level and you have a depressurization, you're going to do emergency descent and you're over high terrain. You're, you're allowed to fly for a certain period, you know, that might be 10 or 20 minutes, at 14,000 feet because it's you're unlikely to kill someone uh, if you level off at that height. But, but as soon as you can, you're going to get down to 10,000 feet where the air is a little thicker and easier for everyone to breathe because the passenger oxygen doesn't last that long. 
uh, but 14,000 feet is considered an unacceptable risk. So uh, our descent drills required us to step descent down, and then we'd hold at 14, um, or sometimes even a little higher, until we got clear of the worst terrain, and then we'd, we'd step down further as soon as we could. Um, so yeah, they, they weren't far from that, but that's that's not an ideal altitude to put people who are unexpectedly thrown into very thin air <laughs> because you've depressurized the airplane. So, yeah, 14,000. Uh, they they went to 15,000, did they? I think so. Which, which the MSA was 14,400. So they, they, went, they were pretty close to the minimum safe altitude, which was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, once you've, you've got away from the tight terrain, you can, you can descend on down. By the way, uh, HIRM is hazard identification and risk mitigation. Why didn't I think of that? I don't know. It's written right there. Yeah. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Don't, yeah. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Okay. We'll right. cover it in the debrief. Right. So I'm wondering, now this is the second uh, event occurring uh, from in departing Kathmandu. Remember the uh, uh, compressor stalls uh, incident? Uh, oh, yeah. And they decided to, it was more important to continue on and get above the terrain. I'm wondering if Kathmandu, Kathmandu must be a demanding place to stay, like like return for landing immediately after you've taken off. I mean, I'm, I I'm just, believe it is. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's one of those airports that you would go or stay at if if you could possibly go somewhere else. It's right. a bit better, a bit lower, a bit safer, a bit easier to land in because there are a lot of incidents and uh, doing it's in inside some awful terrain. So mm-hmm. if you could get away, but. You know, the trouble is that if you want to get up high to get over these mountains, you're going to stress the airframe. If you've bashed the tail, uh, you really don't want to stress the airframe by pressurizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're between the devil and the deep blue sea. But yeah. that's why we played the big bucks. You make the good decisions. And if you come out the other end and everyone is smiling uh, on board and in your chief pilot's office, you've done a good job. Otherwise, we'll be talking about it on one of the many aviation podcasts. <laughs> Yeah. Last but I mean, not least. Did they suggest that there was it would have been no, this isn't a report as such. This is just Simon, isn't it? I say just Simon. It is Simon. No, it's a final report, actually. Uh, oh, is it? Yeah. Well, so did they comment on the uh, actions the crew took? Um I, I mean, they yes. obviously made a few um CRM errors here where they're doing actions independent of each other without reference to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you see, deploying the pa- passenger oxygen masks is perhaps not a bad idea, but you have to think about it because then you can't climb back up again, uh, to, even when you get clear. Not that you would want to with a tail post-tail strike. But um, so, but you want to discuss that because you say, well, we obviously can't go up now because and pressurize the airplane because we don't have any oxygen if we have an actual depressurization later on. So you can only go to a, a local airfield because now you're going to have to fly at medium level or low level to get to divert. So you're not going to make your destination as soon as you kind of deploy those masks. Um, you really can't go on much further um, 
in case you need them again. You're going to use them once. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But they, but they did go to Singapore, um, didn't they? Uh, Liz is so, asking whether she thinks that they actually did make it to their destination. But I don't. Yeah. Did they really? Yeah, part. they went to Singapore. I thought. Well, well, it must have been relatively close if they could get there by climbing no higher than fourteen thousand, because your fuel consumption would be considerably higher there. Yeah, I don't know. I haven't. Um, as I said, I didn't fully prepare for this one. Uh, they go no, from Kathmandu no, to Singapore. They uh, diverted to Kolkata. In India. Oh, sorry. Ah, yes, you're okay. right. Yeah, you're right. So sorry, they did yep, not yep, make yep. it. And then yep. in the last paragraph here in, yep. the, in this says, Correct. oxygen mass deployment, an irreversible action, as Captain Nick just said, is a significant right. event in flight operation. It's desirable for the operator to consider including oxygen mass deployment in the list of standard call-out items. Okay. But yep. uh, so that's that's very important, as uh, you mentioned. Now, back in the, you know, in the old, the good old days, when we had uh, big tanks of oxygen for all the oxygen masks not those little oxygen generator things that we have on 99.9 percent of the airplanes now operating um yeah you could actually stop the flow of oxygen and continue i mean i don't know if that probably wasn't a a company policy but i'm thinking technically speaking you could you could shut off the oxygen right and then still have oxygen for you know did uh, you have an indication of how much was left i think so but it's All been right. so long okay. since I've been flying those kind of airplanes that I don't recall yeah. really. Um, but I think there was actually a way for you to see. There must now, have been. Because uh, something I hadn't considered, the 7.3 has a tail skid, mm-hmm. apparently, uh, which would have probably made me think, well, all right, we bumped, um, but we probably may well not have damaged the fuselage. Uh, and that might change your consideration the airbuses that i flew if you bumped you're scraping the skin off the airplane mm-hmm. now of course having a tail skid doesn't prevent you from on a bad tail strike no nope. also scraping the skin off so that really is you to determine how it felt when you did your lousy takeoff <laughs> right and in this case you know they, they well after the fact the post-flight inspection revealed that the tail skid assembly had contacted the runway surface, but there was no damage to the aircraft. So it basically did its yeah. job. It wasn't a, a really bad tail strike, as you just mentioned. No. But there was no way for them to know that. You just have to assume no. that you know you've damaged the aircraft. Yeah, uh, I would. Think. You know, I when I started flying airplanes with cameras fitted, uh, I began to realize what a fantastic boon it was in the event of a problem. So. They are only taxiing aids, the cameras that I flew with. So on the A340, you had one on the top of the fin looking down at the fuselage and one on the belly looking forwards. But it occurred to me that I, you know, for 25 quid, I can get one here uh, in my house that actually I can spin around using my phone. How easy it would be to install a little turret on a modern airliners with a camera in there that you could spin around and examine your airframe how convenient it would have been to be look back at the rear end of your airplane and go oh okay looks like there's no damage to the paintwork looks like we got away with that let's carry on to destination um i can't imagine uh, it being a particularly expensive well i would say it probably wouldn't be any more than five to ten million dollars per airplane <laughs> <laughs> well, i was thinking more installing them in brand new airplanes but um yeah yeah you're 
It's just it's just a thought that uh, you know what, mm-hmm. why don't the manufacturers give us uh, these bits of kit because they can provide an awful lot of information and help you make good tactical decisions on whether to carry on or divert. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right. Last but not least, uh, this from Paddle Your Own Canoe. Um, a female passenger on an we're we're staying over there in that part of the world, Air India flight. From Nagpur to Mumbai? Nagpur? Nagpur, yeah. Nag- uh, good was, curry, was, Nagpur curry. Oh, really? Well, let's go there. I love curry. <laughs> uh, was reportedly bitten by a scorpion mid-flight. <laughs> Hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. That, this, that scorpion doesn't look, look like it's got very big teeth. Well, it doesn't have any wings either because it said that the scorpion was mid-flight. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm Very good. I don't know how that Very happened. Very good, yeah. I, I cry right too. Um, had to be uh, the lady had to be rushed to a hospital. Well, I call her a lady. I don't know. She maybe she wasn't a lady, <laughs> a female passenger. Uh, had to be rushed to uh, the hospital after the plane landed on April 23rd. The beleaguered Indian flag carrier confirmed that an incident took place aboard flight 630, which departed Nagpur at around 9:14 p.m for the one-hour flight to Mumbai. A spokesperson for the airline said cabin crew immediately offered medical assistance to the victim, who is now said to be recovering well. There was an extremely rare and unfortunate and unfortunate incident involving a scorpion stinging a passenger on board our flight. Uh, 6.30 on April 23rd, 23, an Air India spokesperson told local media, okay, why is that in there? I don't know. On landing, the sad, uh, the sad passenger, well, maybe, uh, more like mad passenger. On landing, the said passenger was attended by the doctor at the airport and subsequently was treated at the hospital and discharged. Our officials accompanied the passenger to the hospital, offered all support to the passenger till discharge. The airline said that the aircraft was fumigated after arrival and an engineering team located and removed the scorpion. Uh, yeah. Oh, they found it. They found well it. Done. Yeah, you know, uh, it's quite common uh, for passengers to want to take their shoes off uh, on a long flight mm-hmm. because, you know, your extremities do tend to inflate a little bit. No wonder they had to fumigate the airplane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. All I'm saying is, you know, it, it's probably worth having a look inside your shoes uh, if you're on an Air India aircraft to just tap them to see if anything drops out before you put your shoes back on because. Yeah. That could be a, that's always a, you never a problem. Know. Scorpions in your shoes. I got I uh, got stung by a scorpion when I was in college Ooh, in Auburn, really? Alabama. It was a little, a little guy, maybe, wow. I don't know, maybe one and a half quarters, or uh, that doesn't mean anything to you. Uh, uh, you know, maybe how many centimeters would that be? <laughs> it, was a, it was a small three, little. Three, three centimeters. Well, for you, that's six inches. But yeah, that's that, exactly. <laughs> Uh, I'd say probably uh, one and a half inches to two inches. Yeah, and it wasn't a okay. huge giant thing that you see on you know TV no, in the desert. Four centimeters, I guess. Yeah, maybe five. Um, you know, I'd like to exaggerate. Yeah, yeah, you're a guy. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so did that, what did it feel like? Uh, it, it felt like it so it was, it was it was dark. Uh, I just turned the lights off. I was walking over to my bed, and then I thought I'd stepped on a pin, like a um, like yeah. a straight pin. Uh, oh. And so I turned the lights on, and then I see this scorpion with its stinger 
uh, stuck in the webbing of my between my big toe and the next toe. No, oh, and uh, I oh, went. Did, ah. it sweat, did, it, did it all swell up and everything? <laughs> it, um, she's asking if it's sw- it, it done swell up. Um, did it done swell up? It did a little bit, but I the thing I was most concerned about is I had. See, my knowledge of being stung by a scorpion was from like the movies, uh, the movies and the and the things that you see on TV, where you know usually people died. <laughs> well, oh no! <laughs> Richard, Richard Adams has me. a really interesting and, point here. And then, uh, so I looked it up, and I uh, learned that. And I don't think you know we that was before the internet, so I think I probably had to look it up in an encyclopedia. But it basically said that most of the time, most scorpion stings just may result in like a nightmarish kind of night as far as like nightmares and not really you know know, significant medical um especially the kind that we had there and no i didn't have any nightmare uh, at all liz so um it was just a a sore you know and i I think it was nice that that area that that webbing between your toes i guess doesn't have a lot of um Nerve endings. Uh, nerve endings and stuff so it wasn't it wasn't too bad at all the the, the big concern for me was psychological thinking i was going to die <laughs> right. so i didn't get sick or anything. you didn't have any nightmares because you probably no, stayed awake night no nightmares wow. so one of my roommates said that uh probably you know get sick and throw up a lot and i said thank you for that and uh, but that didn't happen <laughs> either it was actually kind of a non-event but anyway, uh, Richard Adams in our live audience says that many scorpions fluoresce under UV light, so that's often used to track them in dark corners. Well, I didn't have my fluoresce, fluorescent light source in my hand, Richard. talking about them finding it on the plane. Oh, finding it on the plane. Okay, I'm sorry. I thought he was talking about my, my particular situation in my uh, apartment room at Nobody cares. Yeah, I think uh, mice are a lot harder to find on a plane. Yeah. Although you can set traps for them. Funnily enough, uh, they, uh, something they, apart from scorpions, obviously they're going to be worried about because they do sting. Um, mice they're worried about because um, they chew electric cables <laughs> on an airplane. Yeah. And cars. It's <laughs> not something you want. Because on, um, <laughs> on a mad dog or an angry puppy, um, they probably couldn't get through the big steel cables they have. Ain't no way. On an Airbus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Getting yeah. to know you. All Let's right. Get to know is it that time, Liz? Oh, it sorry. It is. I uh, just time bumped my, my boom, my big old boom. <laughs> there we go. It's that time of the show, getting to know us, where we talk about what's been happening. Look at those good-looking people there in that uh, graphic. With those hats. Yeah, they bunch of weirdos. Yeah, well, that's what we are, and we're proud of it. (laughs) As we said before. All right. Weirdos unite. Um, That's my call. And, um, yeah. So, uh, Nick, have you been busy doing the lawn bowling stuff? Uh, Well, I've had some competitions. I had a really good competition the other day. So, uh, we uh, enter a nationwide so a national competition uh, for uh, double rinks so a rink is a team of four double rinks you have two teams of four and the scores combined uh, and you play another club and it's a knockout competition whoever gets the highest number goes and uh, the club had a an a team uh, which i wasn't selected for but someone said well we've got 
a whole bunch of good players. Why don't we have a second team called the B team? And I, I was selected for that, so I was skipping um, the B, one of the B teams. Uh, and um, we had a great win. So we did really well on our rink, came away with a nice winning margin, which makes it a lot easier for the other rink. If they're, They were struggling a little bit, so they ended up with a tied score, but our good winning margin meant that we won overall. Uh, the A team, with all the star players, um, sadly lost. So oh, no. <laughs> they've been kicked out. We're still going strong. Anyway, that was a bit of fun. I was due to play a uh, two-wood singles match today, um, but uh, my opponent uh, decided that uh, he was going to withdraw, and so he uh, he let me through. So I'm through to the second round now of that competition, uh, and I wish I have to play in a few weeks. Other than that, nothing much is happening in the bowling world. Um, there's some uh, – oh, the, the – you know, the lovely part of spring with warm summer days. We've had a lot of thunderstorms lately, so we've uh, <laughs> had water streaming down the driveway in tor torrential rain, uh, and we managed to keep everything dry, which was good. Uh, but now we've got a beautiful sunny day, and uh, which is absolutely fabulous. Um, so... Uh, I decided to go out and wash the car after a, a winter of – our garage isn't big enough for either of our cars. It was built in the 60s when you know, most cars, people's cars were tiny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if you could probably get my car into the garage if there was nothing else in it, um, which is not the case. It's a <laughs> storeroom, really. Um, but you couldn't open any of the doors. <laughs> So you, yeah, yeah, you'd, you'd be stuck, stuck in the car. Well, you could do the uh, you take the, the the top off, right? Or yeah, the, you could roll the top just, back, yeah. climb over the bonnet. Yeah, <laughs> not but, convenient. Uh, yeah, uh, that would be. So we uh, we we park him in the driveway, uh, and after a winter of that, I noticed there was a little bit of green algae growing on mm. my uh, no. on my soft top. Uh, on the canvas so uh, I thought time to give that a really nice clean mm -hmm. and get rid of that which I have done so good job sitting out in the drive all shiny red mm, and shiny nice I'm um, waiting for your visit later on in the year um, which will be great so uh, that's really been uh, all I've done all I've accomplished oh other than some good uh, honeydews I've fixed a gutter and uh, fixed a downpipe from the uh, um from the gutters in the uh, round the house, uh, hmm. and uh, we've had the builders round with a big scaffolding around our chimney because they've uh, rebuilt the top of our chimney, which was suffering from erosion, and hmm. we'd already had <laughs> one brick fall off, which cracked a uh, a roof tile, and uh, the rest were destined to come down if we didn't do something about it so now we've got a the shiniest newest chimney in the street nice and if uh if jeff comes to stay then he's safe in the knowledge that the chimney won't collapse onto his bedroom it's just not far from where it sits ah <laughs> uh, makes me feel so much so much better yeah well we did it just for you really well, so. yeah i'm sure uh i hope yeah, we're gonna name it the yeah, we're going to name it the uh, memorial, the Jeffrey Memorial Chimney. Chimney. Okay, well, thank you. A lot of ladies have. Um, <laughs> I haul boxes in the the chat room says, uh, glad to hear the grass tickled the balls nicely, Nick. 
Uh, it certainly does. It's, it, actually, the the green is playing very well. It's 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 speeding up as the ground uh, gets drier and the rollers uh, have their effect. And it's cut. You know, when you start the season, you can't cut the grass too short straight away. You've got to do it in stages. So it takes a few weeks to get that grass down to a good fighting depth, and then uh, it becomes much easier to play. Now, you're talking about uh, A teams and B teams. And I mean, immediately when you said A team, I uh, this popped in my head. Shut up, fool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mr. T. Mr. T. Is that from the A team, the, yeah. uh, the, the guys that used to go around uh, rescuing people and yep. doing all yep. that kind of stuff? Mr. Uh, this is Mr. T. Mr. Shut up, fool. Uh, shut up, fool. Shut up, fool. <laughs> <laughs> And I did that on the fly while you were talking. I'm thinking, boom, oh, A-team, well Mr. T. Let's see if I can find that sound effect. <laughs> Does Nick want to talk about the cover art? Do you want to talk about the cover art, Captain Nick? From the uh, last Yeah, sure. You know, I'm, I'm getting my hands on uh, uh, some decent pictures out of uh, Mid-Journey. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I thought that was nice. Uh, so we... I just we were talking about long-time listeners a lot during the show, and I thought, oh, well, I wonder what a long-time listener looks like. So that's my impression, and for those of you who can't see it, it's uh, an old gentleman. Uh, I uh, thought, well, something like Methuselah would be great with long white hair. I thought that was a selfie. sitting there. <laughs> Almost. Uh, he's sitting there resting on his hand, looking mournful and bored and, you know, like life is too hard. Uh, <laughs> and um, he's sitting behind, I said, uh, you know, beside a, an old-fashioned radio. Mm -hmm. Well, it didn't do a very good job. It didn't look very radio-like, so I've had to add uh, the a front, which oh. looked more like a radio with okay. some buttons and things on it. Gotcha. Uh, did you notice the clock? It's just coming up to three hours. Oh, three okay, coming up on yeah, three hours. Five to three APG, in the afternoon. Nice. Yeah, so I had to move those hands around to make that. Oh, happen. and uh, uh -huh. yeah, like I say, the uh, the buttons on the radio, I had to add those, and I had to add the radio face. So, and there's a picture at the back. Did you see what's on that? On the one with the gold frame? No. Oh, yeah, the APG logo. Yeah, that's the APG Back logo. The airline logo, I guess. Absolutely. Very and nice. Very if hard you to are see looking it, but... for the show number, did you find it? Yes, yeah. the number's on the clock. Liz said it's highlighted. on the clock, highlighted. It is indeed. Uh, the clock, where the manufacturer's uh, name would go, you've got APG. Right. And then uh, the, most of the numbers are all blurred, yeah. except you can just about make out 568. So those are, are clearer. And thankfully, so those are all numbers that are on the, the clock, number. right? Five, six, and eight. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Where I guess all the numbers of go. any show would be there, too. Richard so that's says, a dumb thing for me to say. Richard's Sorry. comment. <laughs> Richard Adams says he was just a boy when APG started. <laughs> he was in. And what I love is the look on the old man's face. It's like, oh, it's God. So bored. What? Yes, I'm God, I don't know how I'm going to stay away by doing this. <laughs> Jeff must be I know, speaking. Just how he feels. <laughs> Thanks, Liz. She said, Jeff must be speaking. At the well, moment, you just put people to sleep. I know I put people to sleep. No, I put no, myself to sleep. Loves actually, listening to you. <laughs> oh. Love your voice, Jeff. Well, thank you, Liz. Okay, what have you been doing, Jeff? What have I been doing? I have Ooh. been. Uh, let's see. 
singing. As I, drinking beer, but like, I, I do yeah. uh, drink a lot of beer and uh, just take one look at my belly. And you can see the evidence of that. <laughs> uh, but uh, singing a lot. Last, um, I think it was last Sunday, uh, I, yeah, I, had I, I had five masses. I normally sing in four. Uh, on Sundays, if I can, and uh, that particular Sunday had an extra uh, mass for uh, First uh, Communion, and uh, so I basically spent the whole darn day uh, Sunday at the, which I love, by the way, um, at the at the church. Hi, Jane, if you're listening, she said that this is her new favorite podcast, probably the only podcast that she listens to. But that's my <laughs> choir director, and I thought, ooh, mm, I have to be careful about what I'm saying now. But then I told her, that's okay. It's all good. Um, I love uh, Jane and her husband, Chuck, and all of the wonderful people that I sing with every Saturday and Sunday at my church. They're part of my family. And uh, anyway, so I did that. And, oh, and at the end of all that on Sunday, uh, a couple of days before Sunday, I was contacted by someone and uh, said that he was going to be in town. And uh, would I like to get together with him? And I said, that'd be awesome. And so it just worked out that Sunday night was the best opportunity for that. And I, we met, well, here, I'm again, probably going to uh, say something that I've already said in the audio. So let me uh, play this. Uh, didn't have my nicer microphone with me. Uh, I think I left a cable or something. I don't know. I know what it was. The SD card from my H5 was missing. Because remember the SD problem that I had yeah, with the yeah, interface yeah, yeah. a couple of shows ago? Yeah, I guess I never returned the you, SD you card. You the card and forgot to put yeah, it back. I put the whole darn uh, thing together and then I oh no. realized, oh, it says no <laughs> no SD card. I went, oh, well, that's that's no good. So I used my phone. So, you know, that uh, it wasn't perfect audio quality, but it, it's good enough. You can hear what we're talking about here. And so let me play it right now. So there's this guy that uh, has sent us feedback in the past, at least once, maybe more. Uh, he's a, a listener for, I'm, I'm not sure how long he's going to tell us here in a second. He, uh, his name's Dan, Dan Miller. He uh, contacted me just a couple of days ago, said, hey, I'm going to be in town. My corporate job has me over here in Atlanta for a few nights and just wondering if you wanted to get together and uh, eat some barbecue or something. And so, and here's our, here's our waitress. You want to say, say hi. Hello. <laughs> All right. Thank you. What's your name? Madison. That was Madison. Um, she was just cleaning up our huge mess here at our, uh, at our table. Anyway, he said, let's uh, get together if you are in town. And I said, okay. If they don't call me out on a trip, um, yeah, let's do that. So it is a Sunday afternoon, uh, Sunday evening in Roswell, Georgia. And we are at the Spiced Right Rib House. I do apologize for all the background noise here and interruptions. Uh, but uh, he, he drove up from uh, the uh, Buckhead area of Atlanta to uh, meet me up here in my in my home in APG headquarters, Roswell, Georgia, and uh, had a really wonderful barbecue meal here and a couple of beers, good beers too. So anyway, I'm going to let Dan talk to you. Here you go, Dan. I don't have much to say, but uh, hello APG listeners, and it's been really good to 
hang out with Jeff and, and catch up on everything. And uh, I enjoy listening to it every every uh, time an episode comes out. Thank you, Jeff. Oh, Dan, that's it? <laughs> okay, I told him to be short and sweet. Anyway, yeah, really nice meeting up with Dan, learning about him, his family, his uh, journey, uh, how he became a corporate pilot and AMP mechanic at Camacho and, and uh, Miami Rick. I've almost forgotten Rick's name because I haven't seen him in a while. It's been a while. Hint, hint. Anyway, uh, so we're going we're gonna, to uh, stop this recording and uh, we're going to get out of here. So back to you in the studio. Thank you, Jeff. Where's Dan from, Jeff? Yeah, Dan's Dan from uh, I'm, California. Go ahead. I'm curious, Jeff. What's that silver disc between your heads? That is a hubcap. Oh, really? Uh, okay. Some um, American vehicle. Um, trying to focus on the the middle because uh, it looks section. very vaguely airplane shaped. That uh, logo in the middle. Yeah, I think that's the logo. Now, people in the chat room can probably zoom in on that and figure it out. Is it a? I don't think it's. It might be a Buick logo. Someone help me there in the okay. chat room. Uh, take a look at that. Zoom in on it and tell us what the heck it is. Lincoln. Lincoln. I hope us uh, says it's a Lincoln. Lincoln, which is a part of the Ford um, Ford Lincoln luxury uh, Ford. Luxury Ford. Yes. So oh, there we go. Excellent. Thank you. I, I knew it was something. Rebecca, uh, thank you. That doesn't help at all. She says she sees sauce. I also see a bucket full of beer bottles. What's that all about? Uh, well, those are actually not beer bottles. Those are some other condiments inside the uh, bucket. Oh, right. oh, but okay. you do see a couple of empty beer glasses. Micah disagrees. Oh, he thinks enough. it's an Oldsmobile. Uh -oh. and Mike, uh, Micah thinks it's an Oldsmobile logo. Oh. oh, okay. Now we've got a fight in the chat room. logos in the chat room. <laughs> well, we'll leave them to it. I love the biplane on your tie. That looks very good. Yeah. Yeah, I like to uh, demonstrate the airplane that I fly when I'm wearing a tie. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> that'd be the modern version, wouldn't it? Yes. Good. All right. Yeah. So it was a uh, nice meeting you, Dan, um, uh, at uh, the uh, Spiced Right Rib House. And uh, enjoyed uh, enjoyed the time together and uh, hopefully uh, he said he's going to be heading out this way with his company uh, probably several times in the future so i said hey maybe you can come to the not planned yet um apg meetup uh sometime this uh late spring summer early fall maybe next year late fall winter <laughs> winter i don't know when it's going to be but anyway <laughs> did um, you fly some trips did then? i fly some trips yes i did i flew two trips last week they were um both two-day trips one was an overnight somewhere that i can't recall right off the bat i need to look at my calendar uh looks like uh oklahoma city I was in Oklahoma oh, yeah. City um, on Monday night and then right. uh, back the next day, next morning on Tuesday. And then I just came back from yesterday, a two-day, Thursday, Friday. Overnight. I was in Asheville, uh, North Carolina. And uh, the next day had to go back to Atlanta and then did an add-on turn to um, Gulfport. Gulfport, Biloxi, Mississippi on the Gulf Coast. And uh, yeah, that was it. So uh, one, two, three, four, five, six flights for the week. 
two two day trips, and uh, this system is working out pretty well so far for me. And uh, even today, yeah. earlier today, the, they tried to assign uh, a green slip or an assignment to go out and fly, and uh, I said, "Nope, I have more important things to do." Uh, <laughs> podcast <laughs> and I have singing to do. So, as I told Liz, got podcasting and singing. Podcasting and singing. So, well, yeah, it is. I mean, if it suits your lifestyle, then why not? I mean, you're coming to the point in your career where that's probably the most important thing that, to you now. It is. Don't let fly and interfere with those two. Yeah, I, I have to tell you, it's, it's getting more and more difficult for me to <laughs> get my excitement up to go drive down to the airport and fly another couple of flights over a couple of days and uh but then your paycheck comes uh, in and it's all yeah good. i mean the paycheck is definitely helpful Liz. that's for sure mm-hmm. <laughs> uh but honestly you know like you did nick uh in your last year or so you know you just kind of time to start you know scaling it back a little bit yeah um, so the trips that are really fun trips, they become fewer and far between. And certainly in, in my job, um, they we stop flying to some of my favorite destinations. Uh, so, you know, uh, ended up doing an awful lot of difficult flights into the East Coast of the U.S., which, Oof. you know, is, is mm-hmm. can be very testing at times, particularly in the winter when the weather is horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I used to love going to the Far East. Uh, we, we, our destinations, they were really ground down to a, a, a couple just in China. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, as long as everything's going well and I've been pretty good at, you know, picking flights, destinations that are free of, you know, scary weather. Um, well, that's, the, that's your new system. But, working. Yeah, that's part of my new system. Uh, I can actually look at a flight before I or a trip before I accept it, but it doesn't always work out. (laughs) A couple of times, and it seems like it's always um, white planes that always bites me. So every time I see HPN now, sorry, Radio Roger, I know he lives in that area, but I'm thinking, nope, I'll pass on that because I don't know, not good juju. (laughs) Um, But uh, the thing about this, press the test. But when things happen, like yesterday on the last flight back from Gulfport to Atlanta, uh, some, um, military working dogs, like big, like, you know, the kind of dogs that, um, that Miami Rick fosters yeah, yeah. and, and owns shepherds. And oh yeah. yeah. German shepherds and Mal- uh, Belgian Malinois. Malinois. Uh, they, uh, two, one of each, I think was, um, set to uh, fly with us back to Atlanta yesterday. And uh, they didn't buy any extra seats for the dogs, and they can't really, I guess they can sort of fit underneath the seat no. in front of them. But, I mean, they, and it was, a, it was packed. I mean, Ow. there was not an ep- empty seat on the flight. So there, there was some um, consternation and some, you know, grinding yeah. and gnashing of teeth in the back. And I'm thinking, oh, I hate it when this happens. Like, yeah. you know, there's... A, People are saying they don't you know, like the dogs there. There's not enough room, and they're going, well, we pay for the – yeah, it's just a mess. Luckily, it kind of worked itself yeah. out. And uh, But that's the kind of, – I would rather deal with something like an engine failure than mm-hmm. these people problems in the back of the yeah. airplane, honestly. <laughs> so Absolutely. Anyway, so that kind of stuff, I'm going, well, you know what? I don't have to do this if I don't want to. Nope. I can I – can, I can, 
leave and move on with the next chapter of my life. Yep. And who knows? I might, I might end up doing that. Okay. Coffee fun. Coffee fun. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Here we go. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I'll take some. I love coffee. I love tea. I love the ABG community. Coffee and tea and the Java and me. A cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup. Oh, yeah. The coffee fun. That's Jeff Smith, the best jingle maker in the world, uh, who is singing the uh, APG Java Jai for us. The uh, Coffee Fund is your way to support the show financially. And if you want to do that, uh, you can check it out on airlinepilotguy.com slash coffee. But I'll tell you a little bit about them. First way is the Coffee Fund Classic Method, which is uh, basically a one-time, one-off kind of donation system. Although there are people that uh, send in recurring donations using that as well via PayPal. And since the last show, Mazoots, he's one that uh, uses this uh way of contributing to the coffee fund quite often and another generous we do have some feedback from Mazus. you're right Liz Um, and uh, so thank you very much for your generous contribution again and uh, we also have uh, something called Patreon we can become a patron of the show via Patreon and since the last episode we have a new executive producer Nicholas Turo Shields joined us so thank you very much to all the patrons and all those coffee bar club members out there. Again, we do appreciate it. Let's uh, continue then with some feedback. Captain, incoming message. And as our producer mentioned, our first item of feedback is from one of those who regularly contributes to our show. And that's the reason why we're doing this feedback. The only reason. No, No, that's not. It's not the reason at all. Yeah, because we talked about something on the last show, EpiPens. And uh, Dr. Kareem uh, thought he would uh, chime in with some of his expertise. And he says, dear all, I was interested in the recent discussion about carrying EpiPens on commercial airliners and just had a few thoughts. I think the passenger who suffered the anaphylactic reaction was extremely unlucky to have her first episode in the air. Most people with allergies this severe will already know about them and be aware of the warning signs. Many of them will already have their own EpiPen and will either be able to inject themselves or to give instructions to nearby helpers. In the situation where someone is having their first reaction and is not familiar with the symptoms, the diagnosis may not be obvious to them or to bystanders. Giving adrenaline adrenaline epinephrine is not without risk and given inappropriately can cause severe problems, Uh, for example, heart attacks. Ooh, that would be a severe problem. Presumably, in this type of situation, the cabin crew will seek advice from a ground station who can decide whether epinephrine... Um, okay. You don't like the way I uh, pronounced that word, Liz? That was interesting. Oh, uh, thank you. It's my own little take on, uh, presumably, mm-hmm. presumably, uh, uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> there's a lot, look, I'm looking at a lot of letters that are grouped in things called words. And then these words are grouped in things called sentences. And then they're all put together in a paragraph. 
And I, it's difficult for me sometimes to read these things, <laughs> obviously. Now, Liz is, is laughing. She's laughing so hard she's having a coughing fit, I, I think. Are you okay? Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> Do we need okay. to call 911 No, I need, I need my EpiPen, though. <laughs> Get the EpiPen. Yeah. All right. <sighs> All right. Where should I start? Again? Uh, presumably. Presumably, in this type of situation, the cabin crew will seek advice from a ground station who can decide whether an epinephrine is appropriate. I'm not sure of the level of training cabin crews receive, but suspect that many of them will be able to draw up the drug. The actual injection is into a muscle, not into a vein, just as an EpiPen would be. EpiPens are very expensive and I think have a very, fairly short shelf life. As Captain Nick said on the show, it isn't possible to cater for every potential emergency, so there has to be a judgment made. I suspect that overall, carrying EpiPens routinely probably isn't worthwhile. Just my thoughts. Best wishes and talons, Douglas. Mazoots. Thank you for your input, sir. Oh, by the way, I should mention, you know, I mentioned that my choir director informed me that she is uh, listening to the show, and her son is a pretty new, uh, only, well, almost a year now, I guess. I, I, I didn't realize it had already been that long, or maybe not that long, maybe six months. I don't know. Not, not long. Um, flight attendant for, uh, my airline. And, uh, he has severe allergies. He's allergic to all kinds of things. And he carries an EpiPen with oh, him, wow. you know, a personal one with him all the time. So I don't know why I thought I'd, Nick's on mute. Oh, you're new. You're muted again, sir. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I got first introduced in it about 40 years ago when I joined the military. We just passed the because uh, hour and a half mark. When yeah. we ended up in a um, nuclear, biological, or chemical uh, attack, mm -hmm. um, we if we uh, <laughs> fell foul of, I think it was nerve agent, uh, chemical attacks. Then uh, we were a uh, part of our self treatment was to uh, slam an EpiPen. I think it was full of atropine or something. I, I, someone can correct me on that because mm. I can't quite remember what it used to be full of. Uh, so to try and counter the effects atropen. of nerve agent. Sorry? It was an atropen, not an EpiPen. One. <laughs> <laughs> atropine. I think, or it was either that or adrenaline or something. Anyway, mm -hmm. so uh, yeah, uh, that was back in the seventies. Anyway, uh, did you ever have to stick one in you? Uh, no, luckily Good. we used to we used to see them. We, they were always demonstrated them once to us once a year, uh, dummy ones. So that we didn't actually looking at the bore of the needle. It was terrifying. I mean, it what it was huge. So uh, you really didn't want to do something unless you absolutely had to and it was designed to go through all your flying clothing and your your oh, chemical suit uh and everything else into the flesh so uh, uh you know you, yeah exactly yeah. I, some people said i'll i'll just die no i'm just gonna pass away thanks uh anyway um yeah, but I I, I love it. Um, he's given some very um, clear thinking here, and um, uh, yeah, some of our cabin crew were indeed qualified to give uh, full blood injections, 
um, because of their background. So, you know, if you're lucky enough to have one of those cabin crew on board, then that, that was great. They could do that. But they were all trained. If it was a life-threatening situation, they were all trained and told how to do it, and they used to practice it in their um, their SEP uh, training, uh, you know, jabbing needles into oranges or <laughs> whatever, mm. or stabbing each other. Mm. I don't think they went that far. That's more fun. Um, but, uh, no, the, the cabin crew could give it a good go, I think, uh, if, if required. Excellent. Well, another person who is uh, familiar with uh, the world of medicine and uh, treating people. Oh, yeah. Uh, and who Train is also driver. responsible for <laughs> our first um, big APG meetup at Farnborough uh, mm -hmm. back in yeah. 2016, Stuart Aslett. Uh, he says, uh, episode 568, the ex paramedic in me enjoyed listening to the EpiPen chat. Madness airlines don't carry them, but also madness regarding the cost of them. Okay, so madness that airlines don't carry them. I was thinking that that was the name of an airline <laughs> over there. Of <laughs> all the names you could give an airline, I don't think I'd have picked that I was thinking, one. which one is he referring to? Mad <laughs> okay, now I understand. Let me restate his sentence. Madness airlines don't carry them, but also madness regarding the cost of them. Indeed, literally anyone is permitted to administer adrenaline in order to save a life. Simple, effective devices. Dr. Steph may be interested to know we carried I.O. drills on the ambulance. What's I.O.? I thought it was 10 drills. <laughs> Why would you carry 10 what drills? What do you use a drill for? <laughs> like if you, have a, if you need to drill out the sinuses, right? When you... <laughs> That's right. Uh, perhaps, wasn't it called uh, a trepan, where you drill into someone's head to I relieve the pressure on the brain? Oh, I don't want to talk about oh, well. this anymore. Stop. Okay. I.O. drills. Okay, sorry. What is an I.O. drill, I don't though? know. We In and out? Drill? In, input, output? I don't know. We'll have to ask that. <laughs> anyway, uh, she may be interested, and she probably would be the only one interested, uh, that they carried I.O. drills on the ambulance, and I used it in anger a number of times. That's what you need the drills for. Uh, not many pre-filled syringes, syringes, however, uh, just adrenaline, one colon 10,000, one to 10,000. I found out what an IO arrest. drill is. The other drugs being in ampules. And uh, Liz, uh, our producer, staff, staff what is an uh, IO drill? It's an intraosseous drill, which means they can put a needle right into the bone. Oh, no. Yeah. Why did you have to tell me that? No, you want to know. Intra, <laughs> intra osseous. 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 Intra osseous. Drill. Drill. And, which oh, is that into bone? It yes. goes into yep. bone. Yep. Ow. Oh, ow. Man. Ouch. <laughs> okay. Ban Stewart. We don't want any more feedback from Stewart. No, it's making me golly. sick in my stomach. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, gosh. Yuck. Thank you for that. Ooh. Appreciate it. <laughs> uh, no, we really do appreciate it, Stuart. Thank you. Didn't we have somebody absolutely. else uh, have feedback about the EpiPen? No, not. No, that's I'm it. Aware of. Okay. All right. Well, never mind then. Um, ah, wow. Let's uh, move on with something that doesn't involve drills and this is needles about your and pronunciation. bones and skin. Pronunciation. And, oh, okay. This is a no. Are you sure? This is uh, number 3C, isn't it? Oh, yeah, 3C. Sorry. Yep. Robert. Okay. Robert, yeah. All right. This is Robert. Yep. All right. We have some audio feedback from 
Robert. And so let's see what's what he's been up to. Robert in Tucker, Georgia. Hello, crew. Just a few updates. This is uh, Robert in Tucker. And um, I, uh, I'm i putting this in air quotes, calling it the white collar recession. And it uh, bit me uh, this month. So recording this uh, mid-April. And um, But uh, fortunately, so that happened just over a week ago, and I actually got an offer today, um, you know, a quick interview with uh, a major airline based in Atlanta. Now it's a contract job. I'll be doing um, mobile devices um, uh, way back when years ago, pre-COVID. You know, this is the uh, uh, industry that I had uh, spent now about a decade in. And um, I, know, I remember talking to Captain Nick about his electronic flight book uh, years ago. So it looks like that is going to be my new day job, at least for the, uh, the time being. And I uh, wanted to update that. So I guess this was a weird segue of somehow getting into the uh, aviation business. But uh, we'll see where it goes. Um, you know, it was very positive to uh, get that quick feedback because I just interviewed for it yesterday. And the offer came in today on Tuesday. So looking forward to, um, you know, uh, working in that capacity and just wanted to get you guys an update. Thought you would uh, like that info. So uh, have a good week and talk to you soon. Bye. That's awesome, Robert. Um, obviously, they they heard your voice and think, oh, you know what? I listened to that the best, well, almost the best aviation podcast in the world out there. Mm. Well, it's not even number two or three, actually. But anyway, it's one of them. <laughs> and I recognize your voice from sending in feedback, a lot of audio feedback. And uh, yes, you're hired because yeah. you must be a smart hired. man. Well, he does have a lovely speaking voice. Yes, he does. All right. Well, a- again, uh, congrats. And and by the way, he sent this in not like the last couple of days. It's been a while since yeah. he sent this in. So I hope that uh, the new job is working out well for you, Robert. Absolutely. I'll have to let us know. That's a fascinating thing. Yes, Mm -hmm. it is. Okay. Um, All right. Here's the one that you were referring to, Liz. I know. Raghu. Okay. Uh, Raghu um, says, um, he he entitles it, Captain Jeff's Pronunciation Travails. And it's really weird. You know, when (laughs) when I first saw Pronunciation, I thought that was some kind of a place in india doesn't it look like that good, good, <laughs> the way it's, good. or in pennsylvania or, or in pennsylvania somewhere. maybe yeah uh anyway good day captain jeff i've thoroughly enjoyed listening to the apg podcast very entertaining and more importantly informative wow <laughs> we got oh, wow. him fooled uh, was that? i don't know was, we have an informative section i, I didn't I think know about at some point in a earlier show uh <laughs> May have been informative for a few moments. Uh, perfect accompaniment, accompaniment. Accompaniment. Why am I having so much trouble with words today? I don't today? know. <laughs> I don't know, but it's only going to get worse. Perfect accompaniment <laughs> on daily canine ops in Melbourne, Florida. No, Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> the other Melbourne. <laughs> the, the more famous one. Uh, I meant to write earlier about your pronunciation misadventures, especially when dealing with Asian and other non-English words. The rest of the crew seem to enjoy your attempted pronunciations. Yes, they do. We do. <laughs> That's why they throw all these hard words to pronounce at me, because they just love seeing me struggle Absolutely. with them. Yep. 
and uh, appear to, uh, and they appear keen to assist you in your stumbles. That's not true. They do not appear keen to assist me. No. When your stumbles, but On not getting sp- up. Yeah, okay. Uh, it never fails to <laughs> bemuse me that native English speakers have no trouble reeling off words and phrases like continuum transfunctioner, uh, cackalacky south. Let's see. Wait a minute. I think we've got a cackalacky here somewhere. Cackalacky! Yep. Uh, gyroscopic precession. Uh, Worst Worcester. I have trouble with that one. And uh, let's see. Oh, shoot. Did I not get that ready to go? No, I didn't. And nice beaver. Uh, that was very good. <laughs> thank you. Well done. But, uh, well, you know, he's my uncle, you know, mm-hmm. that, that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. Leslie Nielsen. Uh, but you struggle with words like Srivijaya. Uh, Adamidabi. And Adamidabi, maybe. Um, mm. and this one, Adam in a B, Adam in a B, Adam in a B, yeah, Adam in a B, Adam in a B, damn you. Okay, Staten's Havari Commission for Transport. Uh, I have no problem with that one. Oh, and finally, the last one, Phuket. I know he Phuket. wants me to pronounce it differently. Yeah, uh, and in oh, earlier, I've been to Phuket, have yeah. you? I've dived there. <laughs> Well, I've, I've said that word many times. I've pronounced it a little bit differently. Uh, in an earlier episode, you read out an Aviation Herald piece about a Thai A350-900, which had, which had just taken off from Phuket in Thailand. You quite understandably pronounced it as, as F-U-K-E-T. I can't really say that. You must know that, right? <laughs> um, yeah. we well, I mean, that. I guess I could, but then I have to put the explicit tag on yeah, the don't podcast. Do it. I don't want to have don't to do that. Um, I emphasize with your struggles, given the difficulties encountered by non-native English speakers. Did you say and, emphasize? Uh, didn't or I? Empath- empathize. Empathize. Empath- it sounded oh. like empathize, but oh, I'm sorry. Did I add an H in there? Now everybody's okay. being so critical. <laughs> we're trying to help I, uh, yeah I you're trying this. to help uh-huh. I empathize did I say that correctly yes yeah I, was I empathize with your struggles given the difficulties encountered by non-native English speakers in navigating English words now I'm paying very close attention to every word that I am saying in the interests of helping APG maintain at least a 50% accuracy rate may I suggest that you adopt one basic method do not emphasize any syllable. It will work a charm. That's the way he wrote that out, by the way. It will work a charm with most words of Asian origin. To be fair, I acknowledge that you always make a genuine effort to pronounce non-English words as accurately as possible. Thank you. Uh, I reckon that having made the attempt to do the right thing, you were entitled to just Fouquet. and say the words the best you can. (laughs) By the way, given all the recent discussions of canines on the show, here are a couple of pictures of our German shepherd, Mork, and his evil master, three-legged cavoodle, Snoop, uh, also known as the Black Knight. All the best and keep up the consistently great work, which you all do on every episode, at least 50% of the time. Hey. I love it. I somehow thought that the uh, little dog would be called Mindy, but uh, obviously not. Yeah, I was kind of expecting that as well, but apparently yeah. not. Um, 
the Black Knight or Snoop. I, I like that. Three-legged Cavoodle. That's funny. Yeah. Very cute. Uh, so that's, that's great, Ragu Apadurai. Apadurai. I don't know. I'm, I'm trying. I really am. Just ask anybody that knows me. <laughs> um, all right. I can vouch for that. <laughs> hey. So can my former wife. Thank you, Liz. Um, all right. Um, this is from Sam Bolog. And he, he sent a couple of pictures here. He said, is speed tape required for interior repairs? Laugh out loud. Uh, so here we have some uh, judicious, ju- judicious, judicious, <laughs> gosh, darn it, <laughs> judicious, judicious, gosh, darn it. <laughs> I haven't even been drinking. Oh, that, that's the well, problem. I. I, it just must be the old age and uh, yeah, what do you call it? it? Uh, senility. Creeping Dementia. In. Dementia. Settling in. Don't think you should be flying a plane. I should not be flying a plane, Liz. You're correct. So I will be instead uh, podcasting and singing. All right. Um, so we have a couple of different shots here of the. Uh, I don't know if that. Would you call that speed tape? I think I'd call that just uh, like d- duct yeah, tape or something. Yeah, something speed like isn't tape. Isn't speed tape? I, I when I think of speed tape, I always think of like that aluminum, shiny aluminum, metal, metallic kind of tape. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, but, yeah it's, uh, it's got a, a maker's name on it on that bottom left-hand one. Is Can you not read it? No. What does it say? No. Well, neither can I, but oh. I, I can't make it any bigger. I <laughs> make it bigger. That's what you That's said. A, said the actress <laughs> to is, the That is a problem. <laughs> it, well, the bottom word is tape. The top word is C-A-H, and then it fades. Oh. What would that be? Uh, car tape. <laughs> Use it for, <laughs> it's built for your car. It's car tape. <laughs> but, yeah, in Boston. No, no, no. It's, it's a Boston. It's Boston a Boston cars. thing. It's a Boston brand. Car. Fair enough. Car. I have no idea. And and obviously, uh, but nobody's... I can see maxi thins, ultra thin. Yeah. Well, I was hoping you wouldn't have noticed. <laughs> well, we're that. not going to talk about that. Uh, apparently, no. we are now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it looks like this must be in the bathroom or the lavatory or whatever you yeah, would like say. to call it. And I don't know why we call them restrooms. Stop. Mm-hmm. Leave us alone. I'm, I'm not going there. Yeah. No. Well, you know, sometimes you got to rest. Got your sit but yourself I must admit, down. It, it's, it, I don't know what it is about the design of the cupboards in uh, the, the to- aircraft toilets, but uh, those... Um, can wall cupboards that often contain all sorts of stuff like Kleenexes and things. Uh, they're always coming apart. Ours on our aircraft used to fall open at the drop of a hat and they swing open and the entire contents would have spilled out hmm. all over the floor. So uh, I don't know. It's obviously the same on this aircraft as well. Apparently so. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Sam. Um, I think he chimes in with some other feedback later uh, in mm-hmm. the show. Here. Oh, yeah. Um, we also have some oh, feedback. Oh, really? Do we have to? Yeah, I know. I'm oh, sorry. Just yeah, okay. grit, grit, grit your teeth and bear it. Um, <laughs> um, oh, that, that's a good look for you there. there. Um, <laughs> wait, wait till I bear it. <laughs> okay. Brian uh, says... Uh, as a person who has had type 1 diabetes since I was 19, 
I knew many options were closed to me. It's exciting to see another door open. I'm sure there are more stories on Piatro and his journey to help open the door for people with type 1 diabetes uh, being able to be airline pilots. But I found this interview with him interesting. And so now I'm going to play that. This is Diabetes Connections with Stacy Sims. This week, long thought impossible, people with type 1 diabetes are now working as commercial airline pilots. The very first to be certified in the U.S., Pietro Marsala, says he decided to forge ahead while working as a flight instructor, taking inexperienced student pilots up while he was in control. When we first start flying, we don't know how to fly. We go to school to learn to fly because we don't know how to fly, right? Here I am teaching these students how to fly airplanes, and yet I'm the one responsible. And so that's kind of what led me to thinking to myself, like, wait, something isn't right here. Pietro will share what happened next, how a mountain of data gradually won over skeptics, his in-flight diabetes routine, and what he's up to now. You might be a passenger on his next flight. This podcast is not intended as medical advice. If you have those kinds of questions, please contact your healthcare provider. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think now I understand how we're supposed to do a podcast, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can do that kind of podcast if you like, but I'm going to leave. I would rather not. <laughs> I, think our, I think our blood sugar is a little high. I'm going to be off. I don't think there's room for an old curmudgeon on that kind of podcast. <laughs> no. Sorry. Oh, anyway. Um, so, yeah, that is interesting. Now, is that true that he is the first uh, airline pilot? Uh, I don't know. Um, I know that before I even finished flying, which was, what, three and a bit years ago, uh, the ruling had already, we'd already received medical advice that uh, type 1 diabetics, uh, there was a, an avenue for them to retain their class 1 medicals. Um and there was a list of I, I looked at it out of interest, just one of those things that appear in your entry. And uh, the list of requirements were interesting. You know, you had to be in a very stable situation. You had to have proved you uh, could maintain very stable blood sugars. And then there was a requirement. Obviously, it was only as or with um, pilot, as or with co-pilot. So it meant you could operate as captain, but you had to have another pilot on the aircraft, so the co-pilot. So you're only really, uh, therefore, qualified to fly airliners, you know, uh, as opposed to being a flying instructor, which uh, is a different kettle of fish, really, because the, the student beside you isn't qualified necessarily to fly the airplane on his own, so he wouldn't qualify for as always co-pilot because he's not a pilot yet, or not a qualified pilot yet. Anyway, by the by. Uh, you had to do a blood test. You had to explain to your other pilot what your situation was. You had to do a blood sugar test and take any medication uh, before the top of descent. You had to do this before takeoff and then again if you, during a flight if it was beyond a certain length before the top of descent. Uh, and he had to observe the readings uh, and make sure that you were doing the right thing. And then, you know, if you took some 
uh, insulin or whatever, um, then it was going to last you for the approach and landing. Uh, and so it was quite tight and quite difficult and required the cooperation of another pilot who understood exactly what the situation was and uh, would be briefed as to what his responsibilities were. So it wasn't without hurdles, uh, but I still don't know of anyone that actually... Uh, this is We're talking type 1. Type 2 is common. I had type 2, so... Uh, um, Type one's the one flying. where you know you can get in a critical situation if your blood sugar, I guess, gets too low. Yeah, I think type one is. I now I'm, I'm stepping into areas I'm not sure. Yeah. Type one, type two is is you know just uh, you're suffering from high blood sugars and you're sugar intolerant or um, that sort of thing. Type one is when you need to. You're, type two, you're still producing some insulin, for example, and you're basically controlling uh, your problem with diet and some pills, perhaps. Uh, type 1 is when you actually have to inject insulin because you're not producing any. And this would be the situation here uh, of uh, um, Brian because he's had it since he was 19, type 1. And he, so he's been um, having to take insulin through it his whole life in order to cope with his sugar. Now, the problem with that is, yeah, you're quite right, Jeff. You can... Um, the insulin can just go around around your body uh, and it can depress the amount of sugar in your blood supply until you get to the point where you can fall unconscious. And if, if the situation can get even worse than that. So you have to keep a very, very close eye. So a type 2, you don't tend to suffer from uh, sugar lows that give you that problem. Your problem is fighting the sugar highs that are going to damage your body. But uh, that's, that's slightly different. Very interesting. All right. Well, thank you, Brian. We could, go, we could go to the plain tale now, Jeff. Yeah, I think, I think uh, this might be a good time for us to head over to uh, the installment uh, of the old pilot's plain tales. And I'm clicking on this tile, and it's not doing a thing. Okay. So, without further ado, oh, good. I, I really enjoy these. This I will enjoy one. all of them. But uh, the uh, another installment of the RAF Form 414, Volume 22. Take it away, old pilot. The old pilot's plain tales. RAF Form 414, Volume 22. I trust that you will recall the stories from my RAF logbook, which had reached the point of my first Hornet deployment to New Zealand to work with the Kiwi A4 Skyhawks of Number 75 Squadron Royal New Zealand Air Force at Ohakia. We were given a warm welcome by all and sundry on the base and made feel at home, which wasn't hard since both Britain and Australia have a long relationship with the land of the long white cloud, a translation of Otirua, the Maori name for the islands. The squadron we were working with had a rich history, going back to its formation in 1916 as part of the Royal Flying Corps. After a brief period of being stood down in between the wars, it was reformed in 1937 as a bomber squadron, and when the New Zealand government offered to place 30 modern Vickers Wellingtons it had purchased at the RAS disposal, they were placed with 75 Squadron, which was renamed number 75 New Zealand Squadron. 
The unit operated the Wellingtons, then Stirlings, Lancasters and finally Avro Lincolns. In recognition of its fine combat record, at the end of the war the RAF officially handed over the 75 Squadron title and badge to the Royal New Zealand Air Force, the only time that such an honour has ever occurred. Upon returning to New Zealand, the squadron was rehomed at Ohakia with mosquitoes and was then equipped with vampires, Canberras and finally the A4 Skyhawks we were to fight against. At the start of our first week at Ohakia, we climbed the big staircase to the main briefing room for morning prayers, the nickname for the daily weather and operations briefing that kicked off the day. Halfway up the staircase, I came to a halt and gazed up at a huge photograph hung against the wall. It depicted a foreship of Skyhawks in a tight formation inverted over the airfield, probably halfway through a barrel roll. They were streaming smoke, so obviously a formation display team, but that wasn't what had caught my eye. The lead aircraft was carrying a buddy-buddy air-to-air refuelling pod on its centreline station and had trailed the hose, and the number four was in contact with its probe firmly in the centre of the basket. Whilst in this vulnerable position, the team had then performed low-level formation aerobatics. I was jostled by the stream of pilots making their way up the stairs as I marvelled at the skill required for this feat. Not just the formation keeping, that meant any error might damage the hose or pull the end off the Skyhawk's probe, but even just the consequences of the hose pulling free with the two wingmen so close to a heavy flailing refuelling basket. I was to learn that about the same time as I was finishing my exchange tour, the team, named Kiwi Red, had an accident when the numbers three and four collided in mid-air, killing one of the pilots. Sadly, this led to the team being disbanded, although the squadron did continue to fly its aircraft at displays. It was whilst looking at this remarkable photograph that I realised that this small squadron wasn't some backwater unit we were working with, but a tight-knit band of hard-working professionals who, despite their long-in-the-tooth second-hand aircraft, were up for a fight, as I was to discover that very day on my first flight, a 1v1 air combat mission. We got airborne in trail and meandered out to the play area, and then it was the traditional Outward turn for combat, go. We both turned 45 degrees away from each other, and when we had achieved a few miles separation, it was Inwards turn for combat, go. Once we were established, running towards each other, and we confirmed visual, it was fights on. The classic Hornet, as it's known today, was probably the best manoeuvring dogfighter of its era, and I was expecting a quick and easy kill, but... In the hands of a skilled aviator, that A-4 was dancing around the sky like a nasty and vicious kickboxer. 
The Skyhawk was built during the 50s, along with a whole generation of fighter aircraft that included such machines as the F-4 Phantom, the F-104 Starfighter, the F-105 Thunder Chief, MiG-21 and the Mirage III, to name just a few. The U.S. Navy wanted a jet to replace the A-1 Sky Raider, and the Douglas designer, Heinemann, came up with a small, inexpensive, lightweight, multi-role option that was amazingly flexible. The A-4 is compact, and its diminutive size soon gave birth to nicknames such as the Scooter, Kitty Car, Bantam Bomber, Tinker Toy, and Heinemann's Hot Rod. Indeed, its short wingspan allowed it to operate in a carrier without folding wings, which saved around 200 pounds over 90 kilograms of weight. However, a lot could be fitted onto that pocket-sized airframe. Internally, it held a pair of Colt Mark 12 20mm cannons, each firing 1,000 rounds per minute, and on the five hard points on the wings and fuselage, a whole multitude of weapons and tanks could be accommodated from nuclear bombs, mavericks, paveway-guided bombs, rocket pods and sidewinders, to the buddy-buddy refuelling tanks. Indeed, it was the first fighter to be so equipped and it pioneered the tactical advantages such a system afforded. Being so light, it had an impressive power-to-weight ratio, and with full-span spars made from a single forging, it could pull a substantial plus 8, minus 3 G. Its turn rate was augmented by long leading-edge slats that self-deployed at an appropriate speed using a combination of air pressure and gravity, saving the weight of hydraulic actuators. Occasionally, they deployed asymmetrically, which led to an interesting uncommanded role. Despite its operational history in Vietnam, the Onkapur War, the Falklands War and Operation Desert Storm, there was no way that I should lose to this diminutive fighter that was snapping at my heels, but pretty soon we had gone from two circles to one circle and I was getting my nose in behind and then he reversed on me and off we went into a scissors. Now, a scissors is when the defender pulls into the attacker to force a Tom Cruise-style flyby, but unlike his opponents in Top Gun, the counter is well known. This ended up in a flat scissors, there is another kind, and flat doesn't mean horizontal as it can be done in the vertical going up or down. The two adversaries fly a series of reversing turns, the aim of which is to manoeuvre hard to make little forward progress, driving towards the enemy's six o'clock and then forcing them out in front. To disengage from a scissors usually puts you on the defensive and you'll likely get shot, so if you're equally matched or don't have a wingman to bail you out, it's a matter of who runs out of fuel first. The Skyhawk's snappy manoeuvrability makes it ideal to fly the quick reversing turns required in this tight weaving pattern, but in the Hornet, I had a trick up my sleeve. I stopped turning against him and in full burner put my wings level and the stick into my stomach. The nose obligingly pitched well up, and with an indicated 90 knots, my magic machine started climbing above him. 
my forward speed was minimal, and I could occasionally see the A4 weaving around below me, but without the energy to follow me up. For a while I lost sight of him underneath the leading edge extension, so I firmly pushed full forward stick, and my hornet rotated until the world beneath me was revealed. I needed a little more height, so selected full back stick again and carried on up. The second time I had enough separation to let a sidewinder do the talking and popped one off, drawing the fight to a close. Despite the result, I felt this little fighter, designed in the 50s, had more than proved itself a worthy opponent. We flew more combat missions, mainly 2v2s, but it wasn't until we flew strike missions, with the A4s acting as defensive air cover, that we began to learn how difficult it was to oppose these guys in their own backyard. The 75 Squadron pilots didn't need special permission and fully surveyed low-flying areas to go to ultra-low level. I discovered that they were all, as a matter of norm, authorised down to 100 feet just about every day of the week. Combined with their camouflage, their size and their height against the dark greens of the New Zealand countryside, they were just about invisible. What's more, our hornets were painted an air defence pale grey, which was far from inconspicuous. Our main defence was the APG-73 radars, which could sweep ahead and allow us to engage beyond visual range with Sparrow missiles. But in the scenario given, we still had to penetrate at low level. We ingressed at a compromised 500 feet, which gave us a small amount of look down, hopefully enough to spot the threat before we came in range of their sidewinders. Ha! We got some fleeting contacts, but not enough to hold a lock, and then, from folds in the ground that would barely have hidden a flock of sheep, up popped skyhawks. Some came at us head-on, which gave us time to engage them, but the smart ones let us pass over unseen, and the first we saw of them was when they were in our knickers, claiming kills. Although the 75 Squadron guys knew our route and could set up visual caps, combat air patrols, along it, it was still an embarrassment we should have avoided. The answer was a medium-level sweep ahead, followed by an escorted package with the bombers at ultra-low level and a higher escort a little behind to engage any A4s that got amongst us. Lessons learned. We also got involved with some ship strikes against the Navy, something that we would do a lot more of when we were equipped with Harpoon air-to-ship missiles, but this was more fun. We were carrying practice bombs, so that after fighting our way to the ship, we got to bomb it. Well, not the ship exactly, but a splash target, towed behind a frigate. Fun fact, the Royal New Zealand Navy was the last to stop the daily rum ration. Sailors could receive a tot, an eighth of a pint, of the 148% overproof, that's 98% alcohol, albeit mixed 50-50 with water. It was the United States Navy that first pulled the plug on the daily tot back in 1862. The Royal Australian Navy never issued rum rations. Straith mate, no grog, what a bunch of wowzers! 
the Royal Navy abolished the 230-year-old tradition in 1970 on a day now known as Black Tot Day, which for 52 years became an annual memorial celebrated by a tot of rum, followed two years later by the Canadian Navy. The Kiwis, however, hung on to their intoxicating habit until 1990, which meant that, whilst I was a guest there, the Navy was weaving around like drunken sailors. Bombing the wavy Navy, or perhaps the weavy Navy, was certainly new and a fun experience, as was working with the Kiwi forward air controllers, who guided us in from their blunties for some close air support missions. We also flew battlefield air interdiction missions that was combined with low-level air-to-air refuelling from the Skyhawk's buddy-buddy system. This was a little testing, as our usual height to refuel was in the high 20s and not down at low level. Close formation, close to the ground, has always given me a bit of the heebie-jeebies, as whilst concentrating 95% on maintaining position, there's little time to spend ensuring that your leader is keeping you both clear of terra firma. There is also considerably more turbulence from air deflected by the irregular terrain which disturbs the basket, turning it into a wildly moving target so it was more like a jousting tournament. Perhaps the most interesting mission for me was night bombing under Leapus flares. I'd heard of the technique which involved self-illumination of a target by dropping a flare from overhead or tossing it from a distance with a delay timer. Battlefield flares have been around for centuries. The first recorded use was by the Chinese in the 1400s. More sophisticated flares have been used extensively in both world wars and then by fighter bombers in World War II and after in the Korean War and during the Vietnam War. There were dangers involved in such attacks as a glance directly at the multi-million candle power flare could quickly destroy night vision and as the pool of illumination floated down on a parachute, it swayed and bobbed around, creating a fishbowl of light with a moving horizon which could be quite disorientating. Indeed, it was a surreal effect as we completed night air-to-air refuelling, formating on each other using the glow strips on the Hornet's fuselage, followed by a night low-level ingress to the target. Approaching the target, the lead Skyhawk deployed the flares and we pulled up, checking the numbers and then tipped into the strange circle of light that had dramatically turned night into day. I was concentrating on acquiring the target and striving for a good aiming solution, but after, as I exited, looking to settle at the correct height, heading and speed, I had the feeling that everything had turned into black and white. Before we knew it, it was time to head back to Australia, but not before we'd tried to smuggle the A4 tail hook that had been mounted into 75 Squadron's bar as a footrest. Sadly, someone dobbed us in, and the military police boarded our C-130 as it tried to taxi out and arrested the culprits. Those of us who flew the Hornets home also had a few hours of concern as the headwinds across the Tasman Sea were preventing us from landing with a safe reserve of fuel. 
the Skyhawk's buddy-buddy system came to our rescue, and after getting airborne, we rendezvoused with one of the 75 Squadron jets and topped off our tanks. Even so, there were a few anxious moments as the actual winds became even less favourable. But after three hours, Willie came into view and the boss got us to close up and we did a smart formation fly-past before breaking into the circuit. Sadly, the few times I was fortunate enough to work with the fine pilots of 75 Squadron made me a lucky man as, a few years after I returned to the United Kingdom, a Labour government under the leadership of a Prime Minister with a history of anti-war sentiment and protest scrapped an order that had been placed for F-16s, removed all the existing attack aircraft from the country and disbanded the squadron. It has never reformed. Yes, the sad demise of 75 Squadron. That is, uh, that's no good. No, they, uh, the boys had um, uh, modified the Skyhawks they had to take uh, the F-16 radar, and they're, they're called Kahu, uh, they're the, the modified aircraft, and I think they'd done 10 of them. So they actually had a, a modernized cockpit, um, an F-16 radar, which worked very well indeed. They were getting much improved weapons. Uh, and then they'd also put an order in for a, a bunch of second-hand F-16s from uh, the USAF, uh, which they're going to get a great deal on. And uh, then the government scrapped all the, the strike aircraft that the country possessed. So that was the end of that sounds yeah. like there were awfully good pilots in that uh they sky. were indeed they they yeah they were um I, I got a lot of admiration for them uh and made some good friends um their display pilot in particular gavin house was uh just incredible he was uh he was a fine pilot um and uh even down to their their youngest guys because there was such a small air force um they could really could and there was an awful lot of people were very keen to uh, to join it, become fighter pilots in New Zealand. They could pick and choose from the very best, and they had great training. They they had Mackies and um, uh, Skymasters, Skymasters, uh, the old jet provost. Uh, golly, uh, the name of the militarized version now, uh, attack version has gone. I think it was my Skymaster. Anyway. Someone will correct me. Um, so they had, uh, yeah, they had some great airplanes to train on. Uh, and uh, then the A4s were, they looked after them really well and took part in some big exercises up in the Philippines with the, the USAF. So People in the good. chat are asking good about APG radar. I was just going to highlight that as well, Liz. Um, Mazoots and others in our live audience um uh, heard mention of APG radars, and uh, Mazus is hoping that I have the patent for that. Well, yeah, I think you should certainly uh, uh, say that they should cease and desist the use of... <laughs> the use what of does that stand for? <laughs> yeah. 
for their radars. Good lord, how cheeky! What so? What is APG and this? Uh, no case? idea. Oh, okay. No, no idea. <laughs> All right, never mind. Uh, it was just uh, just the name of the radar, yeah. uh, APG seventy okay. threes. Or oh yeah, uh, oh yeah. Uh, how you yeah, the Phantom had an AN stroke APG radar. So stands for Airborne Fire Control. Airborne Fire Control. That's radar. AFC. That's what they said. AN and APG radar. Strike Master. Yeah, that's right. I, I was right. Yeah. Thank okay. you, I hold boxes. Very Come good. on, in the chat room, <laughs> that's what APG stands for. Yeah, what's APG stand for? Uh, because th those letters don't match up, Liz, <laughs> the, what you're telling me. Who, who's saying that? You were just uh, On Wikipedia, it's Hughes Aircraft. Hughes now Aircraft. Raytheon, now FA Raytheon. FA-18 Hornet. FA-18 Hornet. APG-79. APG-79. And it stood Yeah, it was for... that's the improved version. Uh, we had the early version. Mm-hmm. I guess but, it was the A AN, and then it turned to the APG. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I guess maybe, I don't know. I have no idea. I'm going to stop talking. Well, there you go. Someone said some, said some feedback in, if you wouldn't mind. Some, perhaps someone who works yeah. for them and explain what the letters mean. Exactly. Well, very good. Enjoyed that one. That would be great. Especially the... Uh, Formation F4s um, inverted, and then also the refueling basket formation inverted. Yeah, that was magic. I mean, I think they're the only formation team in the world that did that trick. Wow. And uh, it, <laughs> it looked brilliant. Well, hey, uh, I never actually saw them do it live um, hmm. because they weren't displaying a team at the time. Uh, but. Um, Mazus yeah, has, uh, has been doing a great job. He he wasn't here for his first piece of feedback, and now he's saying he has to leave. Uh, and we're just about to play his second piece of feedback. So oh, I guess Mazus, it's just, come on, hang on, mate, yeah, hang just, on, like, just for a little bit here. Get some medical emergency. Medical emergency, emergency. This is the APG. <laughs> come on, <laughs> got to get your priorities straight here. <laughs> you're you're out there saving people. We're destroying people. And their souls. Very true. Yes. Let's All get right. on with it. You Let's get on ourselves. with it. Okay. Mazus uh, says, uh, well, first of all, he says, come on now. There we go. Uh, this is a link to a story you may have already come across. And uh, it is from the standard.co.uk. One of the more unusual reasons for a diversion, I suspect. Just a shame they couldn't harness the natural gas source in some way. And uh, so, again, from the standard, a uh, plane was forced to make an unscheduled landing after a row broke out on board when a passenger refused to stop passing wind. <laughs> How can you refuse? I mean, <laughs> you can't keep it in. It's going to come out at some point. Well, apparently he had a lot of it. Uh, two Dutchmen <laughs> sitting next to a flatulent tra traveler reportedly asked the man to stop breaking wind on the Transavia Airlines flight from Dubai to Amsterdam, Dutch media reported. When he refused, airline staff <laughs> allegedly failed to fully resolve passengers' complaints, sparking a row. According to... Oh, you don't want to do a little sparking around if someone's breaking wind. Oh, yeah, that's true. Good point. Got to yeah. be safe. According yeah. to De Telegraph, uh, a row then erupted between the three men sitting in a row, forcing the pilot to perform an unusual, 
unscheduled, not unusual, unscheduled landing. It may have been unusual uh, at Vienna Airport. (laughs) (laughs) Police reportedly removed two men and two women from the plane. The women, who are believed to be sisters, described the removal as humiliating and denied any involvement in in the fight. Uh, one told the Telegraph, we have no, we had no idea who these boys were. We just had the bad luck to be in the same row, not row, and we didn't do anything. What, what is this uh, publication here? They love the word R-O-W uh, pronounced yeah. in, in several different ways. They are trying to catch me out. Did you put them up to this, Liz? I did. <laughs> I'm Dang getting it. paid by them. I think she wrote the article. She may have. Yeah, she just said it was from the standard. Um yeah. All four passengers were released uh, without charge, but were banned from flying uh, with Transavia. The passenger. I, we've yet to find out if the um, farting passenger was one of the ones removed. Well, I'm going to tell you right now because it says Good. the passenger suffering from wind was allowed to stay on board. <laughs> um, yes, the farters win. Yes, the the the. the we must be able to come up with something very clever, a farter. Uh, yeah, there's f- got to be a good show title there. Farters. Um, uh, unite. Unite. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. Um, a spokeswoman for the airline said that is unacceptable. Our crew must ensure a safe flight. When passengers pose risks, they immediately intervene. I thought she was saying it was unacceptable that they let the person with all the gas continue uh, on the flight. Um, she says, our, our people are trained for that. They know very well what, where the boundaries are. Transavia well, is there for a square for... view. I don't okay. know what they're trained for. They're trained for that. Yeah. Just says that. Um, there are square behind the cabin crew and the pilots. I don't know. It's a weird well, story. You, you want to make sure you're behind, behind the right person. Yeah, yeah don't be too close behind. <laughs> David Lee's <laughs> got a good comment. Uh, David Lee in the chat room. Is that a tailwind? Yeah, yeah that is a uh, tailwind. Very much so. <laughs> so n- now, I guess, when I, I sign off, I'll say, uh, wishing you clear skies, skies unlimited visibility, and come on. Oh, uh, there we go. I'm having trouble with my sound effects. Again. <laughs> <sighs> what, despite the new soundboard? Yeah, well, this is actually an inline sound effect inside of Evernote. And Evernote is getting worse and worse when it comes to playing audio, like was exhibited uh, in your plain tale, uh, not uh, okay. starting like not right away like they used to. Uh, but I don't know what they're doing over there at Evernote. Come on, get your stuff together here. Okay. Uh, thank you again, Mazus. Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, again, he missed it. Great um, feedback. All right. Uh, Rick sent this in. Rick. Uh, not Miami, Rick. Not Miami, Rick. Kowalczyk. Kowalczyk. I think at one point he did actually send us a phonetic uh, pronunciation guide for his last name. We're just going to call him Rick K. Uh, hi, crew. Saw this earlier this month. Found it interesting. So I guess in a way... The space launches will now be getting EDCT times, or rather, an expected departure clearance month. So I guess that would be an EDCM. Uh, from Reuters.com, uh, he says, keep up the great work on the show. Thank you. Uh, U.S. aviation authorities may delay some space launches to avoid air traffic disruptions. Disruption from Reuters. Uh, why am I getting different? Uh, yeah, it is Reuters. Okay. I said that before. Um, 
The Federal Aviation Administration said Thursday it may delay some space launches to minimize disruption to commercial air travel and provide equitable access to airspace near launch sites. Space launches have often snarled air schedules, especially in congested Florida airspace. Officials are worried about a repeat of last summer's air travel woes when more than 50,000 flights were canceled in the United States and and hundreds of thousands of others delayed in the face of rising demand and airline and flight control staffing shortages. The FAA said it will consider factors like number of flights and passengers affected when deciding whether a commercial space launch should go ahead or the scheduled time changed. The FAA will also look closely at launches around holidays or major events like the Super Bowl. Airlines for America, which represents major carriers, praised the FAA for the move. It said planned launches have sometimes been scrapped at the last minute, resulting in hours of restricted airspace and wasted emissions as planes waited at their gates. Wasted emissions. Yeah, that's true. Saved emissions, right? Um. Let's see. Uh, airlines expect 145 space launches in 2023, an increase of 222% since 2020. For, um, let's see, a, a March 11 space launch in Florida was highly disrupted to air travel, the airline group said in a memo seen by Reuters. Four major U.S. carriers reportedly reported approximately 99,000 incremental flight delay minutes, impacting 303 thousand customers the memo added the launch resulted in an additional 227,000 gallons of fuel burned for three of the four u.s carriers or an additional six hundred and thirty thousand dollars in fuel costs and 4.9 million pounds of co2 emissions the faa has taken other steps to try to alert avert travel woes this summer including agreeing to a request by Delta Airlines and United Airlines to temporarily cut up to 10% of the flights at congested New York area and Washington airports this summer because of an air traffic uh, controller shortage. Major U.S. airlines previously cut about 10% of scheduled flights this spring to address performance issues. Last summer, air traffic control staffing was a factor in delays of 41,498 flights from New York airports, just from New York airports. The FAA disclosed in March. Wow. So, I don't know. Um, interesting. They're going to have to possibly cut back on some of these uh, planned uh, rocket launches, uh, especially. In well, the- I guess you've got to come to a compromise at some point. I mean, uh, rocket launches notoriously uh, are delayed often for various factors, uh, equipment and weather, etc. Um, so, they can... They can need quite a large window um, in order to get a safe launch in, which means if you're <laughs> trying to run an airline or multiple airlines, uh, you know, you could be stuck on the ground for a long time waiting. Because, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, you, I guess you can divert around the airspace. That should be feasible, but I, I guess it's fairly big. I don't know, Jeff. Uh, I'm not sure. Have you seen no terms for this sort of thing? I don't recall seeing like uh, TFRs or whatever, um, you know, restricting airspace around a launch. So I have not been fortunate enough to be anywhere close to a space launch while in flight, um, sadly. I've seen one from the beach. You see, Liz has seen one from the beach. How did the uh, restricted area affect your uh, beach uh, spot, Liz? Not at all. Not at all. Didn't affect me at all. 
and my gas consumption. Because the other alternative is to go find a spaceport that's in a remote area. Yeah. Um, How you get the uh, spaceship there, I don't know, but there you go. Jeff, before you move on, Captain Nigel has an APG answer here. Oh, Oh, look, Nigel's come up with the answer. Yes. Go ahead and read it. Um, ANAPG 63 V3 is the airborne radar. A in the first position means airborne. Yeah. P in the second means radar. What? Oh, yeah. Paydar. G in the third position means weapons control. Ah, uh, makes G there's sense. a weapon. Well, I hope <laughs> yeah, okay. actually agrees with. I want to have a word with the guy who in thought of that acronym. I don't know. We've both but been looking at the same source. Apparently, the uh, IHAW boxes and Nigel looking at the same source about the uh, designation codes, and I guess they're not really ac- ac- It's not really an acronym it's not at all. Alphabetical. Yeah. In any way. No. No. Interesting. God knows what it is but thank you for that yeah thank you i feel a lot better now love our audience our audience is amazing okay p in the second position p i always p in the in several different positions but the second position is my favorite (laughs) i've never tried (laughs) peeing in those positions (laughs) uh let's see another one from sam bolog um recently listened to episode 69 yes i'm planning on listening to them all we're on 569 now. That was 500 episodes ago. Can you believe it? Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't. I just thought of that. Like, wow. That's... Was he expecting something special on episode 69? I uh, I don't yeah. know. I was going to say five, six, you know, the, our episode number is 569, and that's one of my favorite numbers. Of course. And why is that, Jeff? Five is, I like five. It's just, uh, it's always been a favorite number of mine. All right. Uh, anyway, I agree with your thoughts regarding the positive and negative aspect. Finally, we have somebody that agrees with us. Thank you, Sam. All right. Okay. All um, the rest of you can go home now. <laughs> regarding the positive negative aspects of having cameras watching the crew's every move, maybe a good compromise would be to have the recording take place for a specific amount of time upon takeoffs and landings, as well as automatically starting at specific aircraft performances, such as when warning lights or alarms sound and when the flight levels and engines are at abnormal levels. Or have the cameras record video only focused only on the flight controls and panels and not on the seats. Uh, what are your thoughts? And or are cameras already in place in many aircraft? Episode 69 was years ago. Best to you all, Sam. Um, so as Captain Nick just mentioned earlier in this show, uh, there are cameras, a lot of cameras on the newer airplanes, but they're all uh, fixed to, to the outside of the aircraft and showing various vantage uh, points from, again, the exterior of the aircraft. But as far as I know, I don't think there are any yet in the inside, at least not in the uh, cockpits that I'm in, uh, you know, taking video no, of... I don't think... I. I might be wrong, but I don't. I haven't never heard of any, even in the cabin. Whereas mm-hmm. you can go onto a, uh, you know, a bus, uh, public bus service, mm-hmm. and there'll be cameras there uh, recording the people in the bus uh, in case they, you know, do something naughty. Um, uh, cap- why have why haven't we got them in aircraft cabins? Our company, I think, experimented um, shortly after nine eleven with a system of cameras that um, were basically mounted on the outside facing the cabin of the uh, 
the flight deck or cockpit area. Uh, and it had more to do with security and seeing, you know, folks that are uh, approaching the, uh, the cockpit door, perhaps with the idea of getting into the cockpit without permission. Uh, but I don't think the system, I don't, maybe it was too expensive or maybe it didn't work very well or whatever. Uh, and it was never implemented in at least any of the airplanes that I fly. So, but again, that's just our airline and maybe other airlines. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely there were camera systems fitted to a lot of aircraft after 9-11. Uh, for obvious reasons, for security. Mm -hmm. But they they generally observe the areas around the cockpit door mm -hmm. so that you can't approach unseen. Um, but uh, we're here more interested in uh, crash analysis or incident yep. analysis. Um, we've aired our views, a positive and negative, about whether they ought to be allowed on in the uh, aircraft cockpit and what they should be allowed to record. Uh, my personal feeling was I don't think I ever did anything that I would ever be embarrassed to have uh, on film or recorded. So, well, I've seen some things that I would have been, <laughs> been embarrassed about, Nick. Oh, dear. Saying. Well, that's terrible. <laughs> of you. I'm talking about videos of you. Oh, me? Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. Mm. no, no, nothing like that. Uh -huh. um, so I wouldn't care to hoots if you – if. Uh, you know, if, you, if the aircraft had had cameras. Uh, my personal feeling is it's a progression that will eventually occur uh, because the cost of aircraft and the drive to keep uh, the aircraft as safe as possible uh, is going to need a, a better way of analysing accidents. And um, we've gone through the periods of nothing to um, flight recorders to... Mm -hmm cockpit uh, voice recorders uh, and the next the next uh, evolution will be video cameras uh, so I personally say well it, it is tough if you want to come into this uh, profession uh, you should be acting professionally all the time we all know that but we all know that it's not necessarily a hundred percent true by the by um, I think video cameras are gonna be a necessity if we're going to continue to push that level of safety uh, or level of accident level down and increase our levels of safety. So I'm going to say first, in the cabin, there are already many, many cameras, dozens of cameras back there. Everybody has these cell phones that are like, you know, I know it's not the same thing as what mm -hmm. we're talking about as far as continuously viewing certain areas and that kind of thing. And the other thing I was going to say is I am 100% all for uh, uh, cameras in the cockpit um, uh, starting in, let's say, 2024. <laughs> in about a year's time. What yeah. about in RVs? In RV, I'm going to have some cameras in my RV. Yeah, that's where the action is, baby. Cool. <laughs> yeah, why not? You no, for, for security. Uh, yeah. IL Boxes has a comment. IL Boxes says there was one. This one captain who fooled around with a pretend camera in the lab and got sued by a flight attendant, wasn't there? Yeah, there was mm -hmm. something about that. Um, yeah. And I think it was actually the first officer that was the one that was kind of playing around with that joke. Um, that may have been the captain, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, and then UH Blackhawk in the chat says, I think the issue is privacy and how other governments may use the videos. Really? Okay. 
like I say, uh, you know, if if you're a professional pilot and doing everything a professional pilot should do, uh, then what have you got to worry about? But having said that, uh, I think the release should be definitely controlled. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we we routinely, uh, my old outfit, um, downloaded uh, the full data recorder and uh, things that uh, the crew did that, uh, were close to the knuckle in operating their aircraft were flagged, um, but they were de-identified um, so that the uh, individuals uh, involved were not known by the company. So they followed trends rather than trying to pick on an individual for doing one incident you know, one thing that was wrong. Uh, they said, okay, well, you know, we've got 10 people have done this, so let's perhaps l- concentrate on that in the simulator next so we can get rid of that bad habit, um, which I think is fine. Um, I don't have a – I think the union is on very dodgy ground if they try to uh, to make a big fuss about this. Um, I don't think there's – I've never heard of a company – using information that they can glean from voice recorders for anything other than safety uh, considerations. It would be a huge uh, way to shoot yourself in the foot uh, if you did misuse uh, the recording information you got from uh, the aircraft uh, to punitively attack your pilots. Uh, And I... I just don't know. I've never heard of it being done in all the years. Uh, but it doesn't mean to say it hasn't, but there's probably a bit of rumour control out there. It'll probably say it has. I don't know. Well, in this day and time, um, in the current status of our news reporting and keeping secrets secret, um, I think that you just have to assume that, just as we do with the internet and anything we do on our our uh, personal devices or our laptop computers or whatever, you're just going to have to assume that whatever you use and do on them is going to be possibly something that somebody's going to find out about it. And I think the same thing could be said about uh, cockpit voice recordings because I've seen transcripts, maybe not actual recordings, but transcripts of the recordings uh, in several accident reports and everything else. So, I mean, you just have to you have to treat it as if everything that you're doing and saying uh, are are going to be public. discoverable and public at some point. And so that should uh, should uh, affect our behaviors. Masha has a good point. Yeah, um, and it will only affect your behavior in a positive way. Yeah. So, you know, get used to it. And there you go. Bob's your uncle. Masha, um, who is... Uh, also has an uncle named Bob. Uh, there are plenty of jobs already where employees are under constant CCTV, closed circuit television. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, I guess some very good points made there. All right, Sam, just five hundred to go, and you'll be up to speed. You'll be right here. Um, all right. Continuing on with, uh, do we have to do this one? <sighs> from Tim Van Ram. You ever heard of that guy? Yeah, there nope. two uh, bird plus plane equals a term that we're going to discuss here in a moment. Greeting APG folks. Snarge is the APG word of the day. Does it have to be though? Really? 
Uh, with the recent news of a passenger plane having to return to the Columbus airport after a bird strike, the report I saw explained the term for the remains of birds after going through the engine is snarge. Maybe you've all heard this term before, but it was new to me. Yeah, I learned that in accident investigation school, actually. Uh, maybe, uh, let's see, it turns out, as described in the article linked below, that this goo is sent to a national lab for study. Yes, the uh, the Snarge Institute, I think. Um, sometimes Snarge... What's the date? Is it the 1st of April? No, it's not. Have I have <laughs> It's actually May 13th. Okay. Um, sometimes Snarge can be other animals as well. Oh, good. Uh, frogs, rabbits, and even a cat. Mm. I haven't heard of Snarge soup as a thing. Snarge, Douglas, is the way he ends. But I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great to have a tube of Snarge and like you wanted to add something to a, uh, some kind of a flavoring to a, a stew or something mm, like that? Just like umami. pop up in there and uh, got it. You know, it's got to be tasty. <laughs> it's like, it's like airborne. Only if you're fond of eating roadkill. It's, just gonna say it's like airborne roadkill. Yeah. Well, who isn't? Um, anyway, he, he has a link to the article from, uh, wired.com. I'm not going to read it because I don't want to lose my appetite. Um, but we have it for you in the show notes. If you want to check out this article, thank you, Tim, for, I don't know. I've always thought Tim was kind of a snarky kind of guy. <laughs> I don't say that cause I, you know, I think. It's nice to be polite to our listeners. Yeah, well, that's where you're wrong. Um, but I must admit, if someone said to me, I work in a snarge lab, I'd be going, really? Yeah, yuck. Um, I'm going to add a video that I should have been doing uh, while we were playing Plain Tales or something like that, but I didn't because I was afraid I would screw something up. So I am going to load this up, and hey, it's going to happen be available almost immediately. So let me go over here to the next item of feedback, also from Tim Van Ram. And uh, he says, uh, let's see, a World War II veteran celebrates his 100th birthday in PIL dot, dot, dot. I don't know what that means. I'm not sure either, but that's <laughs> Well, um, but... I know what we can do. We can play. Uh, let's, uh, first of all, we'll say what Tim Van Ram said. Hello, APG. Heartwarming news story about a former military pilot that turned 100 and got his wish to fly again. Well, that makes sense, actually. So uh, we got a little bit of video. Not the same exact video that uh, his story linked to, but I found one on YouTube, which is so much easier for me to uh, play on our show. So let me add this to the stream. There he is, 100 years old, he's still going up. I flew uh, during the Second World War. I flew B-26s for 32 missions, and then I flew light airplanes out of Orly Field in Paris. I enjoyed it very much. Threw a few bumps, yes. <laughs> Today I am going to take a flight and fly an airplane. Good thing you have all those years experience. It's something that once you learn. I'm ready, Bob. It's pretty easy to maintain it. They fit pretty well. I hope I get it on the ground. That's, that's gonna feel great. Enjoy the ride and think of all those wonderful flights you had before and all those people who got you here. 
Get that show on the road. Let's go. Dad and Mom were married for 65 years. They had 13 children, 31 grandchildren, and then there's 40 great-grandchildren. Come on, Dad. Get over that tree. He's always been there for us. I've never seen him complain about anything. He just got a great attitude about life. Goes to church every day, too, by the way. Probably prays for all of us. Four generations, yes. Some of the relatives sent him up on a plane five years ago. They're all here for you. Being 100. I think he's trying to, maybe he wants to set an example for uh, the family. Hi, JJ. My family comes from a long line of people. Good grip. And he is the one that inspires me the most. <laughs> I saw him fly a plane tonight, and I think he showed us that you can never be too old to do something. A hundred years. I don't know why he left me here this long. Nice job. I hope I find out. Man, is it tough up there. It's an excitement uh, just to see all the family here. Oh. I'm glad to be here for them. Usually families don't get along like this one does. And I thank God for that. Thank you all for even coming out. We're so proud of you. All right, five more years, we'll be back here. Isn't that awesome? That guy does not look like he is older than, I don't know, 75, 80 years old. And he's 100 flying an airplane. That's amazing. Sorry, Jeff. Yeah, uh, indeed. Uh, And it's lovely to see his family. Uh, They're getting him up in the air again. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, fantastic. We'll have that. you got to watch that video, folks. So if uh, you're uh, just listening, uh, you should uh, check out the link to the video in the show notes. Thank you, Tim, for sending that in. Let, let's do Nigel and then finish with Larry. Okay. Uh, stop with Kim. All right. Nigel is which one? Next one, 12. Okay. Very good. All right. Number 12. This is from Nigel. And uh, he says, uh, hi, Captain Jeff and crew. I thought you'd said we weren't going to play this. Um, I may have. But then uh, <laughs> actually, I actually looked at it, and then I thought, well. There's part that you're not going to play. You're not going to yeah, play. Yeah, I'm just going to talk about the first part here in the, in the video and stuff. Oh, I should probably load that up, too. Okay, hang on. <laughs> just look at the other way. Nothing to see here. Um, bang, bang, Nigel bang. has written the entomology blend of snot and garbage. Is that what it is? Not the entomology, the etymology. Uh, entomology would be... Etymology, yes, yeah. thank you. Not entomology. Uh, etymology blend of snot and garbage. Oh. Snarge. Snarge. Interesting. Interesting. Now, is that true, or is he Isn't making that Isn't that called up? a portmanteau? Uh, could be. Or a poor man's toe. All right, <laughs> let's uh, continue uh, with this from our good friend, and fellow aviator, uh, Nigel. Uh, hi, Captain Jeff and crew. Uh, I may have missed it on show 567, but 26 April was World Pilots Day. I missed it too. <laughs> Didn't know. Well, I've never tried piloting a world. Hmm. On reading about it further, I can't help be giving a shameless plug to a brewery, Flight Co. Brewery in Denver. That's Colorado, United States of America, Western Hemisphere. Not only does it commemorate, thank you very much for the detailed uh, location information. 
Uh, not only does it commemorate the day by offering pilots 50% off beer, no comment there on timing before flying, but it assists pilots in furthering their careers in aviation. They donate 10% of their profits to aviation scholarships. Their next scholarship funds the Stripes to Bars organization, which helps veterans transitioning from the military to civil civil flying. Surely that fits in with the APG culture. Absolutely it does. Yeah. Beer too. And, Definitely. Uh, please add the following link Okay, in the show notes, ITSN. He knows the lingo. Okay, the link will be in the show notes. And also... Um, yeah, we're not going to read the rest of that. So we're going to play this little video and, uh, here we go. Today is world pilots day. Did you know there is a massive shortage of pilots right now? Well, one local brewery is helping create a better industry for all joining us to tell us more about it is Jason Slingsby and Eric Sarani with flight flight co. Yep. I want to make sure I get it right. Flight Co. <laughs> Brewing. Thank you guys so much for coming in. Yeah, thank you. We're going to get to the food in a second because it looks and smells amazing. But first, talk about, you know, the deep connections that you guys have with the aviation industry. Yeah. Uh, Jason and I are both pilots. Uh, started at a young age. Uh, got a scholarship to get my pilot's license. And ever since then, I just kind of felt compelled to give back and get more people into the industry. It's uh, something that's very expensive and, and very hard to do. So we're trying to promote that with our brand here. I don't know how you do it. So you have the brewery. You both are pilots. And you just had a baby two weeks ago. Yep. So no sleep for wow. you right now. Sleep's, sleep's not a thing right now. No. I, I love it. Um, <laughs> why, why did you guys decide to you know, do this promotion? You, know, you, you want to inspire others, right? Yeah, so we, we wanted to do a special Pilot's Day promotion, but then we also do an aviation discount every day. So, wow. And that's for all aviation industry, not just pilots, um, whether it's ramp crew, um, services, anything. It's, uh, it's been really fun, but we do 10% every single day. Uh, for anyone related to the industry. So. Yeah, and then on top of that, we donate 10% of our profits to aviation scholarships, uh, youth organizations to kind of put our money where our mouth is and actually get people into the industry and, and give people that wouldn't normally be able to uh, get their pilot's license a leg up. Well, this is so important because a pilot shortage really would affect anyone who travels, right? Like, clearly it affects pilots because if anyone doesn't know, it's very expensive to become a pilot when you talk about training and renting the plane and the fuel and all the things that go with it. So this is why what you're doing is so important. Absolutely. We're actually, our next scholarship goes out to uh, the Stripes to Bars organization. Uh, in probably two or three weeks. Yeah. It's coming out really soon. It's an organization that uh, specifically gives aviation scholarships to veterans transitioning out of the military. They're uh, individuals that have the mindset that can go right into flight training but may not necessarily have the needs. And, and that tra transition from military to civilian life can be tough at, at points. So, yeah, it's a, it's a scholarship we're really excited about. We've given, I think this will be our fourth Four. scholarship. Yep. Um, to them. You guys yeah. are doing incredible things. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the food. What'd you guys bring today? Brought a little bit of everything. Yeah. Uh, our Tennyson location, our first brewery. Uh, we okay, that's probably enough. It's not dealing with beer or flying, so I don't care. Um, <laughs> so I'm, I need to look uh, for a trip here uh, to Denver to go to the flight. I think you do. Co brewing <laughs> yeah. company. Oh, we don't right, fly. It could be a good place for the next meetup. Yeah, definitely. And unfortunately, my little airplane doesn't fly to Denver. Ah, oh, well. Let me remove this. That was great stuff. Yeah, great stuff. Thank you, uh, Nigel, for sending that in. Brilliant. 
And we're going to wrap this thing up with uh, something from Larry, our good friend in Tulsa. I just uh, received some correspondence from uh, uh, Sean King in uh, Tulsa. He said, hey, haven't seen you in a while. What's up? You know, you need to get a Tulsa layover. And I said, well, this new system is not been lending itself for me having any good Tulsa layovers, but I'm going to keep my eyes open for one here in the future. It's not out of the, out of the, uh, uh, something out of the realms of, <laughs> of, of, possible. of possibility. <laughs> Gosh, darn it. There's another word I'm looking for. and just can't think of what it is. And my, my, uh, the lady that's, you know, in my ear speaking into my ear is not helping at all. She's just completely silent. Thanks a lot, Liz. Has she gone to the loo? No, I'm like, she has no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. Um, so, uh, where was I? Okay. That's the very next one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so we received this from Larry and it's a visual thing. So you're going to have to, uh, look at your little image in your, uh, podcast player. Um, so we have, um, a sop with camel and a sop without camel. <laughs> so okay use your imagination it's actually a biplane uh which is uh, made by sopwith and uh, they called it the sopwith camel but of course the top image shows the uh beautiful airplane with a real camel uh right in front of it or on the side of it here but in front of it in the picture and then of course the next frame the beautiful sopwith camel without camel so the sop without camel. Very, very funny. So is that a dromedary, uh, Liz? Ooh, I thought a dromedary had two humps. She oh. said she thought a dromedary had two humps. Okay, then uh, what's only got one hump? Um, uh, a uniberry? Um, uh, <laughs> no, no, he's right. he's a, no, he is no. absolutely right. Oh, wait. That is, oh, a, dromedary. That is a dromedary, oh, she's saying. Now. Right. She said that uh, oh, okay. Captain Nick is absolutely right. Okay, And brilliant. a two-humped camel is two. called a Bactrian camel. A Bactrian camel is a two-humped. Bactrian camel. Bactrian yeah. is a two-humped camel. Yeah. You know I what? Right. Wow. This is why you come here to the Airline Pilot Show to <laughs> yeah, learn right. about these scorpions, camels, scorpions, camels <laughs> and all sorts of snarge, snarge snargy subjects. <laughs> yeah. I wonder what camel snarge looks like. Ooh, oh, I really don't want to know. Be a lot but I bet it doesn't <laughs> smell good. <laughs> it would be a lot of it. <laughs> I don't think it smells good but before I, it I know. That's snarge. what I mean. I've heard. I don't think I've ever been close <laughs> enough to a camel, a camel to... Uh, to verify this, but I've heard that camels uh, aren't the nicest smelling beasts out there. Probably not, not unless they've had a bath, and you don't get many baths in the desert, do you? Uh, probably not. Up. Okay, it's time to wrap this baby up. And uh, let's see, we do that by, of course, pointing you to, to our website, airlinepilotguy.com, where you'll find all kinds of good stuff there. Um, I'm not going to go into all of it. You've heard me talk about it before you know, over and over and over again. So if you've not been to the site yet, come on, what's your excuse? Get there right now. Well, not right now, but after you listen to this podcast and we are also on social media and captain Nick is going to tell us all about that. 
Yes, if you're a devotee of Facebook, then uh, search for the uh, name Airline Pilot Guy, all one word. You'll find us there. Uh, on Twitter, we are at APG Crew, which is very similar to our Instagram uh, handle, which is APG Crew without the at. So we're not at. We're not where it's at. No, we're Apparently not. Apparently not. No. Is Hillel around? Is Hillel around? I don't know. I can't find him, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Hooray! No, I'm only joking. He's marvelous. Um, okay. Uh, apparently, I, I wasn't. Well, I know you found him, but I'm still trying to find the audio version of Hillel. And I can't. I, I realize now that uh, there was uh, one or two things that I probably should have done before we uh, started. The, the broadcast. I'm so sorry. No, 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 no. I it's all my fault. I'm I'm I have my task uh, set out for me for the next few days and getting this for. Uh, I could be hello for you. Jeff, okay. I'm stuck in the plug hole again. Wait a minute. Okay, let me. <laughs> hang on. Let's start over. I'm going to make the shower soon. <sighs> I'm stuck in the plug hole again. <laughs> You want me to talk about Slark? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, we're great at improvising. We're really good. Oh, Slark. Is there something or other? <laughs> don't, don't think you're allowed to use that word. I, I I'm not even sure what he says. I, I hear it every show, and I, I, can't, I can't say it. Anyway. Uh, I'm going to add it in post. (laughs) Wait. Okay, wait. Good idea. Here it is right now. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K. Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1 and see you in Slack. Thanks a lot, Hillel. I love you, man. I love you too. Oh, nice guy. one, Jeff. Well done, sir. <laughs> Thank you. That was well, seamless. I mean, our, no our, one will notice. Our acting skills are just, I mean, top notch. Top notch, Barbara. 50% at least. <laughs> uh, all the uh, mute, mute, don't mute. It's time for the APG players to make another appearance. <laughs> yeah, we need I to think. do another play. Ah, right. Okay. Yeah. All right. And of course, uh, thank you, Liz, our <laughs> wonderful producer and. Uh, uh, I don't know what else. Lots of lives. Right thank you. <laughs> Thanks, guys. And, um, and then finally, we'd like to thank our live audience. And uh, they're here uh, with us every oh, yeah, week. And they, good, good yeah. characters tonight. Yeah, it's always All this fun. Afternoon. So thank you for showing up. And uh, with that, I'm going to wish you clear skies, unlimited visibility, and... <laughs> <laughs> Talons, Douglas. Talons, Douglas. <laughs> Cheers, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>
good day. a good good pilot till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, how guy 